Welcome everyone, for we are here today to do something most challenging, which is to discuss Justice League, the Snyder Cut. I am Peter, of course, I am joined by David. Hold on, hold on, do you, do you hear some ancient lamentation music playing? That's not, it's all I, it's all I can hear now. Yeah, I have not stopped hearing it since the movie finished, to be honest. Uh, it's <laughs> on Thursday night. I still hear that lamentation music. Oh, dear. In fact, most of the memes I've seen about the movie have been about that that part of the soundtrack, but... Yeah, it's it's a... That's one of my favorite memes from it, by far. Yeah. Uh, so, Justice League, of course, came out in 2017. It was notorious because they hired Joss Whedon to recut and even do reshoots for the film to try and make it, I don't know, more theater-friendly and more audience-friendly. We'll get into maybe our thoughts on that. But yeah. uh, I, I think the first thing is worth mentioning. This will be completely full spoilers. I don't see the point in doing a spoiler-free section for the Snyder Cut. Uh, we'll get into it. Um, I think to establish where we are going into this yes. uh, in terms of our opinions on particularly Batman v Superman, maybe also Man of Steel, but certainly the Justice League theatrical cut as well um where we stand so would you like to sum up your feelings on the snyder dc movies as of before this on, cut on the cinematic masterpiece that is his vision yes of course um <laughs> man of steel man of steel i was okay with it wasn't anything that jumped out of me i thought it was fine uh bvs i was psyched for and then I was disappointed. I'm not someone... I have this for a joke. I, I, <laughs> I'm I, not a huge defender of BVS. I'll be completely honest there. It was overambitious, and they shoved too much into one movie. Um, and so coming down onto the theatrical cut of Justice League, I, I liked it in as much as it didn't offend me as much as BVS did, if that makes any sense. It wasn't anything too terrible, I mm. guess. I don't know how much of that is Snyder and how much of that is we. Well, I guess now I do know how much of that yes, is Snyder. Yes, now you do know. You can actually but, compare and contrast. Uh, but at the time, it didn't offend me. So, yeah, sure. that's where I'm at. Sure. Uh, yeah, Man of Steel, I actually wasn't too hard on when it came out. Uh, hmm. I liked enough of it well enough, even though it did have some serious problems uh, with its, you know, destruction, characterization of Superman, uh, you know, the simple things like, how, you know, that's desaturated for some reason, even though Superman's outfit's like the most colorful, you know, bright, bold outfit there's ever been. Um, but I, I wasn't too down on it. And what's funny is I, I saw it a few times when it came out, but I didn't see it for a few years. But when Batman v Superman came out, I actually went to a midnight showing that showed Man of Steel first. So I was so I hadn't seen it in like two or three years. I was like, oh, okay, that's good. I'll refresh on Man of Steel before the midnight showing of Batman v Superman. Mm -hmm. And so even before I saw Batman v Superman, my opinion kind of soured a bit. Like, I certainly yeah. was bothered more by the portrayal of Jonathan Kent. I was bothered more uh by yeah. certain like you know kissing on the mass grave of a city that didn't even see superman save anyone so no one really kind of knows who he is or respects him other than a couple of key characters he saved that family of four in the museum 
That's very important. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the old neck snap, yes. yes. Uh, and then Batman v Superman, uh, I, I've often referred to my cinematic Vietnam. I, I, I think I had PTSD <laughs> after I, I walked out. I, I don't think I have ever walked out of a theater as angry as I did when I saw And it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. There is definitely worse. I, I mean, I saw the Bye Bye Man in theaters. Uh, oh, God. For Why? the love of all things. Well, oh, I don't know if no. you know this, but I've got a horror movie show called Screams After Midnight. and Oh, here on YouTube and or other audio listening devices? <laughs> yes, yes. That, that would be exactly where you could find it, yes. Fantastic. Uh, check it out, yes. My, my co-host Tim just became a father, so go check it out out of uh, parental sympathy, if nothing else. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, I despise that film. I, I, I think it... Zack Snyder showed just how little he understood either Superman or Batman. And that's before we even get to Eisenberg as Lex Luthor or any other of the wacky things we can bring up in that movie. But fundamentally, I just don't think he understands those two characters. And that's yeah. what upset me the most. There's a lot of other things I don't like about it. There's a lot of things about Zack Snyder's style and just in his filmmaking library in general that I'm not a big fan of. Uh, he has this very nihilistic view on life and on world and, and so on and so on. Um, but boil it down to just him not understanding the characters. I, I think it's a bad movie, and I think that has, as an adaptation of those characters, it's a very, very poor showing. And it's not what I would have ever wanted to have as the first ever Batman, Superman, meet on film movie. Like, it, it, mm-hmm. it was, uh, you know, a little soul-destroying at the time. <laughs> uh, Justice League, theatrical cut, I think if you go back and listen to the review, which I did at the time, I think I am too generous to it because I was just relieved it wasn't as bad as Batman v Superman. I I actually in prep for this I did listen <laughs> to the original original review and you guys, uh, you Matt and Connor, you were all very forgiving. We were more forgiving than we should have been, and I think it's because we were expecting Batman v Superman too, and instead mm. we got a mess of a film, admittedly. But there were small little things in there that seemed okay at the time or seemed. Like, they, they were aiming for the right idea. Like, there, you know, there's some of the stuff they added with Superman, even though it conflicted with everything we saw in the previous film. I at least appreciated the attempt. Admittedly, it's sullied because of the stupid CGI mouth, but I appreciated the attempt of trying to actually show a Superman who interacted with the public, who cared about the public, who the public looked up to and saw, mm. saw inspiration in, which is a big part of Superman's character. Mm. Uh, that said, though, I have felt no desire to watch it since it came out. And obviously there's some dodgy jokes. There's some things that were added that haven't held up uh, that yeah. have been pointed out over time. You rewatched it for this. Yes, I did. So you'll, I'm sure you'll point <laughs> some of those out as we go. But yeah. yes, I, I think at the time I, I sort of generously handed it a 6 out of 10. I think now from memory, it would probably more like a 4 <laughs> if I was... Yeah, that that sounds about fair. That's, yeah. from, I, what, from what I just saw of it, four is pretty pretty good (laughs) yes so that is kind of where i stand on those uh did i want a snyder cut no i did not david did you were you did you want a snyder cut the 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 part of me that just it's a creeping voice in the back of my head that says well he could and i want to see what he'd do with it it's the some people want to watch the world burn sort of thing. That little voice in my head was like, I just want to see what he'd do with it. 
I want to, I want sure. him to have all of the resources so that no one can say that he wasn't given the chance. I want to know what he'd do. And only in that way did I want to see the Snyder Cut. You had morbid curiosity. Exactly. Morbid curiosity. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, I didn't expect anything great. I, I went, okay, going into this, I tried to avoid everything past the first trailer. I watched the first trailer that came out for it, and after that, I stayed away from any sort of interviews, leaks, whatever. All I knew about it was that it was four hours long, and that they were tweaking who the villain was, which I guess, if we're in full spoilers now, is Darkseid. So that's about all I knew getting into it. And I think we always kind of knew that because originally it was supposed to be just sleep part one and it was always going to be part two as the dark side movie. So this was always going to just te- that was just the funny thing about finally getting the Snyder cut is that you're effectively getting something that's supposed to be part one. So yes. you're never getting part two unless <laughs> people really campaign and Warner Good Brothers God. really start to cave. But like, <laughs> If Warner Brothers could somehow turn it around and make it financially solvent, they'll do it. What's so weird to me is that this movie doesn't just set up a part two. It feels like it sets up at least a part three, if not a part four. There's, there's okay. enough in this to set up multiple sequels. I could, I could care less. Like, if we spend five minutes talking about the movie as a whole, fine. <laughs> but I will be spending forty-five minutes minimum on that <laughs> epilogue sequence. Oh, we'll talk about the epilogues. This Good is the God. thing. I think the first thing I want to say about the Snyder Cut is is that is it better than the the, the, the theatrical cut? I think in an objective point of view it is, because it's yes. a more coherent film. It's not as much of a haphazard thrown together, try to, you know, jigsaw it, Frankenstein it into something that's not that it wasn't intended to be. Right. And because of that, it is objectively a better movie. Did I like it better <laughs> than the, the yeah. actual cut? It's a very different question. But what I will say is that it is better than Batman v Superman. And I think something I just said a minute ago about Batman v Superman is that that movie was like anger fuel? It was I was ra- enraged leaving the theater. The vast majority of this movie does not piss me off. The vast majority of the Snyder cut, it was just kind of a slog, but it wasn't yeah. upsetting for most of the time. However, yeah, no. you did just yep. mention that epilogue scene, and <laughs> that that was the scene. There's a couple of small things before that, but that was a scene where I, I it, it reminded me of how I felt watching Batman v Superman. Everything yeah. I I hate about Batman v Superman was distilled into that scene. It's it's, it's, it's good God. I wrote I wrote down literally because for I so for the audience. Uh, I watched this Thursday night separate from Pete, who uh, you did a watch party on the stream. Mm-hmm. I I watched it separately. And then I went back and I watched Theatrical Cut the next day. And then today, before recording this, I rewatched the Snyder Cut again. I skipped a little bit. I didn't watch the whole way through. I skipped a little bit. But I wrote down, like, every single scene change in the movie. So I have a beat-for-beat breakdown of everything that happens. I am fascinated by this because one of the feelings that I was constantly getting when I was Mm -hmm. watching the Snyder Cut is when I was noticing where we were in the timeline when certain mm-hmm. things that were because this is the, this is the this is the bizarre thing is that other than one or two scenes where things are significantly different the plot is the exact same yeah the plot is the same plot it's not there's not some big difference to how things it's still looking for mother boxes the, the team still more or less meet up it's... the same way they originally did um 
it, you know, there's, there's not some big difference in terms of how the movie f- no, flows. It's, it's almost exactly the same. But each scene has uh, runs a lot longer. And I will say, it, right from the start, there is a, a, a more distinct tone. It feels like there's a somber kind of, like, doom is coming kind of tone. Yes. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? I, I think, you know, if you're dealing with... Admittedly, Steppenwolf's still lame. Right? Steppenwolf's still lame villain. He looks better. He looks better. I will give them that they actually spent some of the money on actual CGI instead of whatever paper mache cutout they originally had for theatrical Steppenwolf. Uh, there was times in this where you CG. I mean, it wasn't the worst CG. Oh yeah, there's the, times. Don't get me wrong. I admit yeah. there's times, but it's not every scene where I'm like, you just like pasted him in there, didn't you? You didn't even worry about the lighting. Like so I was brave. I was no, like I, I was noting in particular Cyborg's jaw sometimes, and I think it's particularly in the, yeah. in the shots that weren't in the theatrical cut. So this is the sort of the CG they had to do for this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes because these entire like metal parts are all CG, there was mm-hmm. times when he was talking where it was so kind of weird looking the, the the jaw part of the the, the metal frame that mm-hmm. it almost looked like he was a puppet the way his mouth was his jaw was moving up and down and it looked kind of yeah. silly. Uh, so that was sticking out to me, but. Yeah, so, but e- so what I was trying to say though is that each scene is just longer, and yeah. I think one of the first things I want to talk about with this movie, and I think it's actually great that this exists because I think this should be shown in film school. I think the Snyder <laughs> Cut should be shown in film school to say, "Hey, when you go shoot a movie and you put your first rough edit together, it's probably going to be much longer than your final edit." Because right. you're going to use everything, you're going to see how it all flows together, and then you'll start to say, okay, this is what I don't need, this is where, you know, I can trim some here, I can speed things up here. Sometimes you want a bit of a slow pace in a moment because you want the beat to play out, and that's that's fine. Because uh, one of my opposite problems in a lot of other movies is that things are t- too choppy, and they're just, they're just trying to like boom, 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 boom through the whole thing. <laughs> this is the total opposite of that. Where And this is before I even get to all the slow motion. We'll get to the slow motion oh as a separate God. thing. <laughs> <laughs> there's so that much slow motion thing. i was planning before i watched it through the first time i was planning i was like what if i just held like a stopwatch timer and i just activated it every time that there was slow motion oh and then yes. i take however much time that was and just take it out and say this is how much movie here's how much the movie was extended by artificially and then i watched like three scenes of the movie and i was like there's too much i can't i can't possibly <laughs> there's so much slow motion uh, which leads to the sort of background to the point that we were kind of starting on here is that yes. there was a moment where I, I, I sort of noticed the, the the time we were at in the timeline, and mm. there's a it's a scene where Wonder Woman goes to Batman because it's after she's discovered the arrow that's been shot from Themyscira, landed in Athens, and she's seen the message and that it's, it's a bit, again it's a bit extended here because she sees like a, an actual portrait of Dark Side in one of the right. you know the murals or whatever. She right. gets it. She gets the information instead of just, oh, it was always in my memory. I always yeah. just happened to know about this. But she goes to Bruce, and, and this is the po- this is you know, the important part in Act One of the movie, where mm. she goes to Bruce. These are the two characters that are already kind of on board, and she says, "The threat is real, and it's coming." Right, which initiates that. Oh, we actually have to get this team going because the threat is coming. That mm-hmm. happens at almost exactly the one hour mark. Yes, in a regular movie. That would be maybe 20 minutes into the film, if that. Here's the thing. <laughs> and this is what I realized when I was when I was watching and comparing the two different versions. Yes. They are the exact same beats. All of them. The whole way across. Mm-hmm. But they are perfectly twice as long in the Snyder Cut. 
the scene where everyone is fighting Steppenwolf in the Metropolis Tunnels, that takes place exactly halfway through in both movies. That's, that's you're amazing. Saying, <laughs> you're saying that the uh, scene where she's setting together the team is an hour in, and in normal movies, it'd be like 20 to 30 minutes in. It's exactly <laughs> twice as far in. And they just stretched everything out to exactly twice what? as long. Do you know what's so funny about this is that obviously it's become very popular right now to shit on Whedon, right? And for good reason. He's a piece of mm. shit in real life. Yeah. But I do want to say that forget who it was that was hired to do this. Forget who was brought in to do this. Just that someone was brought in and they were given this four-hour behemoth and said, this needs to work in about two and a half hours or less. Mm-hmm. How do you do it? And obviously it's not everything that was added was good, right? Although I do mm-hmm. think some of the things were commendable in what they were trying to do. But... Like, I, ca- I can't necessarily... Because f- I'll just be quite frank here. This cut is too long, and it needs to be at least 90 minutes shorter. <laughs> Did you ever watch the... <laughs> I think it was Netflix exclusive, but there was an extended edition of Quentin Tarantino's Hateful Eight. Joe, I never... Because it was... Well, I mean, not that I don't use a VPN, but it was uh, Netflix right. US only. Right. I did sit through that. I did watch that. And frankly, that movie was already too long, so... The extended part, I didn't even notice. I had no idea what they added. It was just somehow an hour longer. Mm. But that was, it was all stuff that, because I didn't notice, it either helped or it just flowed into the plot naturally. It worked. With this movie, all of this extra stuff, (laughs) like there was one part I wrote down, where was it? It was in, I think, part two, The Age of Heroes, where it's like, we cut to Lois being sad for 30 seconds. Yes. Like, it's right in between two other scenes of Bruce and Diana talking. But we just stick it there because we didn't, I guess, have a good scene transition. And mm-hmm. it's just her pulling pulling the cape out of the basket or whatever, and we looking at it for 30 seconds. And then we cut back. And I'm like, why did we have that? She doesn't sniff it, though. We save the sniffing for the, the random woman who sniffs Aquaman's card again. No. All right, I am going, I am going, because this was a line that I only noticed on the rewatch. When Superman comes back with Lois to the Kent farm, Mm -hmm. in the Snyder Cut, she says, you spoke, after he says, like, this is home or whatever. And he says, I didn't before, or did I not before, or something like that? Imply he doesn't remember anything from before yet. Yes. Yes. The line in the Whedon Cut, same shot, but the line in the Whedon Cut was, you smell good. <laughs> and he responds back, did I not before? And I'm like, that's such a little change, but it changes everything about the tone of that scene. Actually, I mean, I suppose one of the, the first things is, is the A problem I had conceptually with the movie before I still have. Um, mm-hmm. well, I mean, Superman's return in this, I hate with a fiery mm-hmm. passion. And it's not just because it's kind of, it's it's not terrible, on a, a, a context. It's just, it's very fan fictiony. It's very just. Oh, we need to bring him back. Oh, we've got a magic box that might be able to bring him back. Let's try and wake him up. Oh, it works. He's mm. he's super evil for some reason for no for you know for no apparent reason, and then he just magically changes after a day in the farm with Lois. Right? There's there's no like. There's no trigger in that. It's not like we have fallen for a plot line where something happens, where we see the moment where he finally realizes who he is, or he mm. remembers the importance of who he is, or anything like that. He just sort of 
looks at Lois for a bit in the 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 because you know, Joe is is banking on the imagery. The original Superman the movie had that great sequence where he's leaving home and Mark Kent comes out into the field and he sort of right. says that he's got this call and he has to go out and find out who he is and it's important to him and all that. And mm-hmm. you know the John Williams music swells and all the blah, 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 <laughs> right. And it's a great scene. And he's going for that imagery, but he's just but instead of having that imagery enhance the story he's telling in the scene. He's counting on that imagery being the entire weight of the scene to make it have meaning. And yeah. So, so that's just a general complaint about Snyder's understanding of, of these characters, of how to draw the emotion out. Hmm. But what pisses me off so much about it is that you knew, you, were, you knew you were making Justice League next and you chose to rush to the death of Superman in your second Superman yeah. movie. I don't yeah. understand it. <laughs> that's when i say that they tried to stuff too much into bvs and that was one of my major problems like you want to do batman v superman fine if you want to introduce wonder woman in there it's iffy but you can take it but to also add death of superman in your second venture out never gonna work no you should never have done that no and i thought oh well maybe that's because he's got such a great idea for the return that that's why we're saving it and then mm-hmm. it's not it's just we have to we they literally have to dig him up they have to take his body to uh the ship and turn the mother box on because it's a macguffin that'll do it and <laughs> that's basically i have it. problems with the mother boxes in both versions oh yeah we'll, i hate yeah. how they treated them <laughs> we'll get to that but so connor actually pointed something out here right okay. uh, i mean i think i noticed at the same time he did but he vocalized it right so i'll give him credit for being the first to say it when we were watching it is mm-hmm. When they're leaving on the, the jet, right? So Superman's awake, but he's flown off somewhere. He's with Lois. And they're leaving. It's like, well, Superman's pissed off somewhere, but we still have to go and try and win this fight. So we're just going to go anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alfred's like say, saying them off, seeing them off in the bat plane. And there's a line to the effect of like, you know, like, how do you think you can win this? And Bruce smiles and says, I have faith, right? And he turns around. And Cara pointed out that this might actually be the the, the one thing that he's ki- that Snyder's kind of got right about Batman is the idea mm. of Batman and Superman's relationship. One of the most heartwarming parts about it is the idea that the cold, angry, vengeful Batman believes in Superman. And if the crux of your movie, and I think this is a crux of as a DC Comics fan, as someone who loves these characters, if the mm. backbone of your movie is that Batman is willing to do whatever it takes because he believes and superman that superman will show up and do the right thing no matter what that is an emotional backbone that means something for the characters that i can buy into that i can really get on board with now he's not really super getting into it by any means it's not like he's really focusing on it but it is kind of brought up in a couple Mm -hmm. of lines of dialogue that one being the 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 key one this is one of my fundamental problems with Zack snyder as a director (laughs) he so he's effectively kind of set this up this idea that this is about believing that Superman's going to do the right thing and mm. he'll be there and show up, right? Now, admittedly, it'd be more effective if, let's say, they had a couple of movies actually working together before he died. But, I mean, that's another <laughs> debate. So why is it that after that you have these lanes, you set up this idea that he has faith in Superman, that when Superman appears, and this is in this particular cut, notably, notably, I actually watched the fight scene from the theatrical cut on YouTube okay. earlier yeah. today, and the and the funnily enough, that one kind of has this. It's not a really good example of it, but in the Snyder cut, this is completely missing. There is no reaction of Batman when Superman actually shows up to save the day. Yeah, 
there's and I, I double checked this because I, I, I didn't I was you know what it's a long movie I was you know talking through it so I, I wanted to double check mm-hmm. and make sure this is just not a complaint I've made up in my head I went back and watched like a good 10 minute chunk of this sort of section you portal when Superman shows up he, he comes in he's not impressed he uses the freeze breath which was that the first mm-hmm. time he used freeze breath maybe he used it in Batman v Superman I can't remember I mean he used it in theatrical cut but oh sh- uh, sure yeah, I'll be, I'll be honest. I didn't remember that. But he, he used it in theatrical, but it was so much differently. Like they were on the mm. ground fighting him, and he went full on like, yeah. like it was a big gust instead of just a little. Huh. So not only do you not have a reaction shot of Batman having his faith rewarded, the idea that he was right to believe in Superman, and the idea that Batman has his faith rewarded, the cynical jaded Batman. Is something hmm. that we, as a cynical jaded, jaded audience, let's be honest, can sort of like connect to, and it'll make us believe in Superman a little bit. So you don't have yeah. his reaction. But not only that, he doesn't even really acknowledge that he's shown up, really. Like, he eventually sort of like grip, grapples into the scene, and he's just kind of hmm. there, and he doesn't really... The, the first time he really kind of, like, has a moment with Superman is when Superman pulls him up right at the very end before they pause. Yep. So you have you have to understand though, Batman was really busy on those Gatling guns. It was really uh, important. He's, yeah, he's he... too busy firing a big gun the entire time because that's yes. that's what I want about Batman is Batman firing guns. Exactly. <sighs> or that's what Zack Snyder wants. Look, no guns, no killing. It's not that hard, right? I'm just <laughs> let's just get out but of the way. Parademons. Parademons are fair game, even in the comics. Yeah, doesn't Not it bother with guns, you? Though, I get that, but doesn't it bother you though that one of the only times we see Batman fighting in this whole movie, he's just got a big laser gun and he's just firing it left and right? Oh, dude, like that—the whole Batmobile, yeah, Batmobile scene oh, with the all guns. the parademons, like just gun after gun after gun, all the BVS gun after gun after gun. Yeah. Like, yeah, it bothers me that he only has guns. I'd much rather the martial arts stuff, but <laughs> whatever, I guess. Yeah, so that that was one of the things I was really thinking about after I watched it was was just this lack of like actually having Batman react and seeing what he you know the moment where his faith in Superman is right and rewarded and it's just not there it's not paid off simple I mean, I'm storytelling of, I'm trying to think of any character who had a reaction and really all it comes down to is the one shot of Aquaman and Wonder Woman. Yes. So they look up and he goes, he goes, all right. And she goes, Kal-El. And then we just move on. That's it. Uh, I mean, Wonder Woman has a smile on her face when she jumps out of the fight because she's like, ah, Superman's right. here now. Which, mm. I mean, it does raise a whole lot of problems where Superman, Snyder's version of Superman is actually too powerful. And the I co- think that's, I honestly think that's probably why he killed him off so early. He's like, I, if I want to pull together a threat that's big enough to form a Justice League, I can't have literally God around. I need to somehow <laughs> get him away. He can come back to solve the problem, but to make the threat, he needs to be gone. It's the same thing with, um, uh, what was it? Civil War, where they sent away Hulk and Thor. Oh, yeah, because they would just end things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a problem that he created himself though by making Superman so ultra powerful that um, because because the idea that he just just has because it's not even like he struggles with Steppenwolf he shows up and he just manhandles him like he's nothing yeah. and I guess maybe that sells Darkseid that you know he, he won't be able to do that to Darkseid in a potential part two so that'll sell how strong Darkseid is but mm-hmm. it kind of like makes the rest of the league look a little bit like chumps I mean if I'm going to give credit where credit is due at least the one major difference in this big section of the movie with the Flash does actually make Flash far yes. more important. 
than he ever was before. Yeah, I really, I, I'm not sure how I feel about that scene the way it was written, but the concept of the scene I yes. really liked. Yes, concept. Yes, I don't think like us watching that as DC comic readers who have read the Flash, we mm-hmm. watch this and he says, you know, I'm going to have to break my rule because essentially what happens here if you've not watched the movie is yes. that, you know, uh, Steppenwolf wins. Superman's been beating the shit out of him, but he actually is too late. The portal's opening to Darkseid, and the mother mm-hmm. boxes start to erode Earth, right? And there's like a wave of just destruction and whatever yep. going out. And Flash basically has to run backwards in time. He says, I'm going to break my one rule. I'm going to go faster than light. And it's mm-hmm. him running in reverse in time as he's doing it. Yes. Um, as comic book readers, we're like, yes, we know Barry can run backwards in time. Mm-hmm. Did anything in this film, for anyone who doesn't know that Flash can do this from other sources, does it set it up? Yes. Oh, it does? The scene where he triggers the cube, he he runs and he he explicitly says, like, when I run close to the speed of light, freaky things happen with time. And as the cube's dropping into the water, it starts raising back up again to show that he's going slightly backwards in time, just a little bit. So there's a little bit of something. Fair play, fair play. Uh, at least the setup was there because obviously we were, you know, we were cracking jokes and stuff watching it, so I, I missed mm-hmm. that bit of dialogue. <laughs> In <laughs> all right. honesty, that's uh, so you know, credit where credit is due, it was set up. Um, that said, Ezra Miller is so badly miscast as Barry yeah. Allen that it, I don't know if it matters. <laughs> I, you guys made the point repeatedly in your theatrical cut yes. review of it should have been Bart if they were going to go with this version, mm-hmm. it needed to be Bart Allen. But yeah, I, I, it's just not. This is a this is a kid in the candy shop. Like I get that he's supposed to be like the youth of the team. Like he's supposed to be the fun loving guy, and the Flash in almost every instance is the fun loving yeah. guy of the team. But he's still able to function as a human being. <laughs> well, I think that leads because one of the big things that rallied, of course, is the scene with Iris, and yes. I think. That moment stuck out to me because it's like, I don't know, it's like 90 minutes out of the movie or something. It's, you know, it's, it's relatively quite far in. Because um, mm-hmm. I know Tara was watching this earlier and she uh, messaged me and said, wait, we're oh, an hour 20 in and they're only just really introducing Cyborg. And I just started mm-hmm. laughing because I'm like, yes, that sounds about right. But yeah. so this is like, his, this is Barry's introduction in the movie is this scene with Iris. Mm-hmm. And I'll give it points for kind of waking me up a little bit because the, the unintentional hysterical laughter that I had during this scene definitely snapped me into life i'll give it yeah. that i was i was just slack-jawed at this whole scene i was like oh hold on so for those of you who haven't seen the whole thing is that he runs into iris he's trying to get a job as like a dog walker i think I, actually and, I, one thing we have to make clear is that yes you say he runs into iris they do not know each other this is how they, they oh, the yeah, first time no. they've ever met they just lock eyes across a crowded room and keep locking eyes for unreasonably long periods of time yes but um then she's she's trying to get her car started and then this this is the part that got me was this extended hold on this truck driver eating a burger who drops it and then just we really focus on the fact that he just needs to pick up this burger (laughs) i i i don't I don't understand why that was what, like, yes, we get it. He's distracted going into traffic. We we know where this scene is going, Zach. You don't need to spell out, like, does he have the burger yet? Is he going to notice in time? No, clearly he's not. You wouldn't even what? have this if he was going to notice in time. 
Obviously not the drop in it, but the start of him just eating a burger in his truck actually made me think of the opening of Resident Evil 2 Remake, the video game. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it literally starts with a truck driver eating a cheeseburger. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I mean, there's just a lot of little weird things about this. Because like, obviously people are making a, a big a big song and dance on Twitter and social media because, oh, the, the scene was Iris was cut. Uh, Clemens mm-hmm. is going to be back in the movie as Iris. And the fact that yeah. it's only one scene, she's never named, and all she is in this scene is there for Barry to stare at and then save. Just, yeah, I don't know, it really dis- diminishes what Iris is, I think, this scene. I'm trying to think from a filmmaking perspective. Like, from Zack Snyder's perspective, you want to see Barry being a hero before he joins the League. Yes. That's why this scene exists. However, that's the only purpose there is no other and it is a long segment it is a good like seven to ten minutes of just him constantly going (laughs) off and just verbal diarrhea just going cut and paste that last uh line about it's a long segment seven to ten minutes and just sort of you can insert that for every scene we talk about you can (laughs) you honestly can (laughs) that's the it's the thing is right the thing is is that the funny part I've not even gone. I mean, there's all these little problems. It's like, why does this have mm. to be an iris scene? It's, it's an iris scene because, oh, we can all say they put Iris West in the movie. It's an iris scene because the Flash movie's coming out in 2018. <laughs> because of name recognition, because it's an important character to Barry Allen, but the context is so random that it's a stranger that he meets as he's trying to get a job as a dog walker. Mm-hmm. I also, I, real quick, I wonder if... This would, if they folded the characters over into the Flash movie, would they have referenced this scene? Would they have been like, hey, I recognize you from the dog place? Well, I mean... You saved me from the car. You have superpowers. There, we've completely blocked out that part of the story where I don't know about your superpowers. Well, given how little Aquaman seemed to even adhere to Justice League, despite the fact that it came out like a year after or whatever... I I will say... I did not watch Aquaman, so... Oh, okay, all right, interesting. Which is, I'm going to have a question if we ever bring up Aquaman, but oh, we continue are. on with... We're going to bring Aquaman, don't you worry. But, so, you know, like the car, like, you know, gets hit, and she's, like, flying in midair off, out of the car, because I think it's, like, a variable, if I remember right. And yeah. he, you know, first of all, I laughed a little bit when he spins his feet and like, the, his shoes and just his explode. Shoes just explode. <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> I was expecting the rest of his clothes to go too for some yeah. reason. Which actually no. leads to a complaint I had in the theatrical cut that I still have here is that Ezra Miller doesn't know how to run. Like everything he does with his yeah. arms, everything he does with his body language just feels wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's this, you know, it's, it, it, it's strangely this, enough, you're the one who defended him running in your earlier review. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, you you were saying something about like they were filming in slow mo or something, 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 and I was like, nah, he looks silly. It, it, yeah, he looks silly. It even look worse. I don't know. Maybe again. Maybe I was being too kind at the time. I don't know. Yeah. But he runs out, and it's, you know, it's, it's basically a quicksilver scene. It's you know, the time is frozen still, and he mm-hmm. runs up and he grabs like a hot dog that's came, like came loose. <laughs> before he before he saves her, before he grabs her, he grabs mm-hmm. this this wiener and puts it in his pocket, and then saves Iris. But yep. this thing takes so long, and like. It presents him as being so fast that time is still for so long. Which, admittedly, mm-hmm. they did with Quicksilver too. And it, it was a problem with Quicksilver as well, is that almost everything that happens in the films and those X-Men films after Quicksilver is introduced, it's like, well, Quicksilver could solve this. Why isn't Quicksilver here to solve this? Um, yep. So that is a problem that those have as well. But 
they kind of do the same thing here, but it, it, it's, so, it's so absurd. The way he sort of stands and stares at her pretty face for so long. He's just bewitched by how beautiful Iris is. Can I also just throw in, like, she saw this truck. She, <laughs> she knows that she is flying through the air. She's conscious of this happening. This, this has been three to five seconds for her. Mm-hmm. And yet her face is still... <laughs> like, there's no fear. There's no shock. There's no nothing. It's just that, like, okay, we need you to hold a face for, like, four hours while we film this. Can you just go ahead and <laughs> make whatever face is comfortable for you? Yeah, I, this is, it, it's so funny. I, I don't want to ragging people who like it on Twitter, but, like, you know, I, I, occasionally I'll see comments like, uh, oh, man, I'm so happy that, you know, Chrissy Clemens got to be in the movie now as Iris. You know, she's, she's going to be great in the movie. And, and stuff and stuff and you know they talk about loving the scene and I, I just i don't get it i don't get the fast and the other thing is i saw people praising mira and i think that's the next thing i want to talk about is why does mira all of a sudden have an english accent it was in the theatrical cut too however she's only there for like yeah she's there for like four lines yeah so I think that was just, they were like, oh, no, we're going to make you British, and when it comes to Aquaman, you're still going to be British. And then somewhere along in Aquaman, they're like, mm, no, no. Because Amber Heard's not like an amazing actress anyway, but trying to make her do an English accent was not mm-hmm. the wisest move. Um, it- I, st- I still, was, I mean, maybe they were going with a thing of like, because I always forget the like dimension she comes from, Mera, in the comics. Oh, Zebel. Um, Zebel, that's right. Maybe they were trying to make a thing of like, oh, Zebelians or whatever speak with a British accent, but like everyone that's native to Atlantis speaks with an American accent or whatever. I don't know what they were going with, what they had in mind, but <laughs> clearly they already filmed the scenes with her speaking British and they're like, we just got to well, lock it not, down. Not all of them, because as far as I know, yeah, as far as I know, the epilogue scene that we're going to go in on pretty hard later, <sighs> uh, that was entirely a reshoot, I believe. So yeah. I actually wonder what was going through Snyder's brain with with Mira specifically. Like, okay, you want Mira there, you've got this idea for her, but you're like, wait, she was in a whole movie already where she didn't have an English accent, but she's got English accent in the other scenes in this movie. I guess he made the right choice. Consistency in the same movie is probably more important. Yes, but it's still kind of. I just imagine like just the in his brain just being like. <sighs> like I just imagine Zack Snyder's the same sort of way that Bendis is. Where it's just like, I'm sorry, did I write that? No, then it didn't mm-hmm. happen. I could see that. Yeah. I could see that. Uh, yeah. Because Mira's, uh, you know, she, I mean, obviously that's the big inclusion. She's got a few more scenes, though, because she's fight-stepping off a bit more. And mm-hmm. uh, was Yeah, that, that, was a, that was a part that was completely cut from theatrical cut that I didn't even remember was cut, was her using the hydrokinesis to yeah. drain his bodily fluids. Yeah, we weren't sure when we were watching it on a stream. We're like, I th- I, this may have been in the theatrical cut, but we weren't no, really that sure. Was cut. It, it went straight from the shot of her being held against the wall to being thrown onto the pillar next to them. There was no mm. pulling the blood out. I was like, that makes her badass. I don't know why you would, like, I get why Whedon would cut that, because that's not exactly family-friendly, but it it furthers a character who had nothing else going on. You may as well give it to her. It at least gave her some strength, which because uh, otherwise she's just you know ah oh, she's been thrown around she's weak she's whatever yeah and uh, that gave exactly. her some moment of action some moment of strength yeah like mm. yeah that's an improvement I guess I'll I'll give it that like hard mm-hmm. <laughs> getting that to happen doing that to Steppenwolf was an improvement take take the your one question the one point. question I have yes. and this is I need to know what Aquaman does with it is do. Ignoring the fact that in the comics, 
only Mera has hydrokinesis. Mm-hmm. Let's just assume that, okay, everyone has hydrokinesis. That's fine. Water, I think I know what you're about to ask, but go yes. on. <laughs> Do we have to make a bubble? Can they not speak? Like, I get in Zack Snyder's continuity, they can't speak underwater for whatever reason. But in Aquaman, can they speak underwater? Yes, they can. There's no bubbles. Why in the hell did we do this? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the funny thing. In the original cut, it only happens once. So it's like a, a weird anomaly. But in this yeah. cut, it happens like four times. They and make because a bubble Mary to talk. did it, I was okay with it. I was like, yeah. okay, you're just you're using your powers to show you powers. Fine, whatever. But now that Volko can do it, now yep. that Mira does it with some random soldier guy, I'm like, why are we... That's it. That does extend to a complaint that was in both cuts, which is Aquaman at one point with the trident does make the water stop flowing yes. a certain way. It's like, no, that's a Mira thing. But that's why I'm fully willing to accept that everyone just has hydrokinesis now. That's just everyone can bend water. Okay, fine. She's just better at it. Yes. <laughs> that's not, I guess that's what they're going she with. She can do the bodily fluid thing, which makes her <laughs> extra cool. <laughs> she can do the bodily fluid thing. Put that in the poster. Yes. Very good. Uh, <sighs> yeah, uh, what else do I want to talk about? Uh, I mean, I guess one thing we definitely need to talk about, I don't know if you want to get into it now, but Cyborg as a whole yeah there's obviously a lot more cyborg uh, they there's actually show more cyborg you know th- his origin we get to hear mm-hmm. about what happened some shots of him playing football uh yeah. there's some weird stuff later on where he's kind of like inside himself in like the mother box or something i was yeah, all about- I- I took that as the, uh, what was it, Captain Marvel thing where it's like, oh, I'm in your brain, but you're also in me, and we're just kind of syncing up here. Yeah. My thing with Cyborg is, especially having watched the theatrical cut, where they just took out all of it, absolutely all of it. He had nothing to do that entire movie, except, like, he moped for the first hour. For the next 30 minutes, he was like, all right, I'm part of this team, but things still aren't great. And then the last 30 minutes, he was like, all right, things are pretty cool now. And it was like, okay, I guess you had an arc. I'm glad you were here. (laughs) Well, I think the Cyborg, Flash, and Aquaman stuff Mm -hmm. fall into a problem that this movie had. It doesn't help, uh, you know, what Snyder's doing with it or what ended up having to tap into it with the the theatrical cut. But it doesn't help that half of the team haven't had movies and that they have to yeah. all be introduced, which is partly why the first two hours of this this four-hour cut takes so goddamn long, is we mm-hmm. have to establish all of these characters. We have to show you Aquaman. Uh, we have to show you, like, Someone's weird... Someone snipping a shirt. I- Isla- Icelandic, you know, this, mm-hmm. this village of Icelandic people singing for him that goes yep. on for ages, and then he walks towards the water in slow motion. A lot of slow motion. Did I mention the slow motion? Um, I don't think he did. Ezra Miller, I mean, I mentioned he's miscast, but he just, he feels so uncomfortable like, with every line he has to give and not in yeah. like, a, like an endearing way. He feels like he belongs playing serial killers and not playing likable <laughs> heroes. That's what he feels like to me. Yeah. I Okay, so this is just my minor nitpick with all of DC Comics adaptations. Mm-hmm. What do we have against blonde actors? I don't get that. Grant Gustin <laughs> is Flash, not blonde. Mm-hmm. Ezra Miller is Flash, not Blonde. There's, like, a couple others that I can't recall right now, but, like, we just don't do what's, that. What's really funny about it. it is that most of the Flashes in the comic, not even just Barry, like, Wally's Ginger, Bart's... Yeah. 
ginger i think i think he's ginger yeah, yeah. ginger too yeah so even most of the main flashes aren't you know they're, they're all not brown or dark haired yeah but for some reason yes in every movie version we've had or tv version they've all been I just, dark hair i don't get it like i understand if if like he if he was spot on acting like the flash mm-hmm. i'd be i'd be whatever he looks like that's fine sure, that's yeah. kind of the way i feel like grant gustin grant gustin gets it he's in a good mindset at least he was early seasons i haven't kept up he doesn't look but, like him but yeah like he's not yeah but that's just it if he acts like him i don't care what he looks like ezra is neither he doesn't look like what i imagine barry is and it, he doesn't act like what i imagine barry is it's especially weird given that like everyone else pretty much has dark hair too so it would actually make him stand out a little bit more if he had yeah. lighter hair uh because, I mean, Aquaman's supposed to have blonde hair. And I, I, I mean, obviously, you, you cast someone uh, of yeah. a different race. Obviously, that kind of leads to that. But yeah. um, so with him also having dark hair, it means that Barry would really stick out if he had mm-hmm. a different hair color. But he doesn't. No. <laughs> so. it's, it's... But it's something that stretches across all DC media. Like, we've never really had a blonde flash. And I'm just like, why? What are we, what, what are we trying to dodge here? Um, anime does it, but... Doesn't really count, I suppose, in the context I of mean, this conversation. Yes, fair enough. I'm thinking more the DC, like the Justice League show, where it was Wally the whole time, so it didn't count. But oh, yeah. sure, yes. But it was Ginger. Anyway. They, they didn't yes, he was. Dark they hair. matched him up. I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> anyway, but no. But back to Cyborg, though. I do think yes. that it he he got so much more development here. He had a whole thing with his father the whole way through. Seeing his origin did wonders for it in the theatrical cut i thought it was hilarious because they had him like show a little display between his hands and there was just shots of like full still frames from snyder's clips that he shot at the football game and then he just went thump and went on to bruce wayne as batman and i was like <laughs> show that like come on and also in the scene where they are grave digging in the theatrical cut they do explicitly say that cyborg got the way he is because of an explosion. So, I guess we just decided. No, nah, I don't want to explain car crash. That's boring. Explosion. Um, is the explosion more accurate to the comics though? Because I thought it was an explosion in the comics. I th- explosion I thought... in the comics. Yes, yeah. in the comics, it was a giant slime monster thing out of Star Labs or whatever. Or yeah, New yeah, Fifty Two. Yeah. It was Dark Side's invasion. But I'm sticking with film continuity because we get into what it is in the comics, all better. Yeah, no, I know, but I, at least with that one, if they're going to change it, at least an explosion is kind of the comic one. So it's not like the, yeah. it's not like he suddenly went, oh, he got like this because he slipped on a diving board and landed awkwardly. Mm. It was something really weird and specific. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but um, I mean, it was completely filmed too. Yeah. Like all of that existed. It wouldn't take Whedon much to say like car accident my mom died there cool now you have pathos as well because his mom died in the same car accident there done extra character growth in one line yeah yeah i mean it's fine like i think it's one of these things where i wouldn't say i was all that compelled by his arc in the film hmm. um that i'm compelled by anyone else's this is not this is not a particular dick on cyborg no not at all uh th- this is just all of the arcs in the film what there is of them is so drawn out and they're so kind of simple and cliched in a lot of ways that just kind of make them like because as much as it's nice that they finally put it in and he, he should have gotten more than he got in the theatrical cut whether he just suddenly mm-hmm. changes character for almost no reason at certain points um there's not really that much interesting about it in the sense that it is just a typical oh you know parent died with him and the, you know, like we've seen other superheroes we've seen other superhero movies even with that oh, yeah. type of setup 
you know there's, there's nothing super I, I think with cyborg i've always kind of wished they went more into like uh not not in terms of tone but like like really go down the robocop angle of like uh, him dealing with the fact that he's part mm-hmm. machine and they always mention it he always says things about it but i never right. really feel like they actually do a story about it yeah i guess from my perspective what i really got into cyborg was his first act where it was that the entire scene where he's listening to his dad on the tape recorder the first time through yes and he's just saying here's what you can do you are literally a god in a modern world you can do all this stuff anything that relates to zeros and ones you got it down and they show examples of this of him him seeing all the security footage of this mother who's struggling and then just upping her bank account because it's all just zeros and ones he can just do that and i like that sort of power boost for him especially compared to theatrical cut where it was just like i can fly now that's a thing i can do i kind of wish they went deeper into it because i think yeah what what they should have done for 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 the movie really is that in the same way that i was saying that i really wish it was hanging on like the the emotional heart of the film was batman believing in superman which would actually Mm -hmm. be a nice counterpoint given that the last movie was mostly you know batman hating superman trying to kill him uh, which has got its own problems, but let's just say that that was the dispute in the last film. Batman mm-hmm. believing in Superman now would be a nice counterpoint to it. Similarly, if you actually sort of like narratively construct the entire plot around Cyborg, so you actually make it about his origin and you make it about him struggling to be what he is now and accepting that he is different and he is uh, not longer no longer a regular human being and he does have godlike abilities in some ways, but it comes at the, the, the price of being normal. It comes at the price of mm-hmm. living a normal life, all these things. Like, you can do something with that. And it is worth mentioning that uh, his father in the film, Silas, yes, played by Joe Martin, uh, who mm-hmm. I do love from Terminator 2 and Speed. Fantastic. So shout out to Joe Martin. Uh, but he actually fulfills the typical Snyder sacrifice scene, which Snyder <laughs> has in every single one of his movies. Because, yeah. and this is a problem that... I watched a great video, and I can't really remember the channel, but uh, there's a woman on YouTube who did a great comparison of of superman but then did the video was called we're already dead uh and it's a really good examination of snyder's nihilistic kind of like themes that run through all of his films and how uh so there's a soldier in man of steel uh where he has this big moment where he sacrifices himself on the plane and the line he has before he does it is a good death is its own reward and how mm. you can actually take that line and apply it to several characters through all of Zack snyder's movies uh, it applies in Watchmen, it applies in Man of Steel, it applies in Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch is even darker because, at least in her head, she's imagining being raped, so it's like even more mm-hmm. vicious than just murder. Um, you know, and then here with, with the Joe Martin, like, it, it, it happens over and over again. And I don't mm-hmm. think I feel anything from this sacrifice because I think one of the problems with Zack Snyder's sacrifice scenes is that his characters are so bleak and his world is so bleak that there's nothing mm-hmm. to latch onto to care about any of them and and to really root for them yeah i don't I, think I, there is no i agree that for most characters, i i don't know maybe i'm just a sucker for cyborg i never considered myself to be such but yeah maybe i am but i i felt that out of everyone in the movie silas was the one who was the most human i guess sure. he had a whole thing about you know he did all of this to save his son and yes like it was a redemption story on his end because he the whole reason that his son was in that state was, ex- you know, tangentially related to the fact that he wasn't there for him. Yes. So, and then the whole thing of, like, why he sacrificed himself, why he did all this, was just out of devotion to his son. The best part of that was when um, the Code Red is going off at Star Labs, and 
he's fully he's completely disproved that there is a code red that it's all just a false alarm but as soon as he sees the sun walks in he puts it together in his hand he's like never mind definitely a code red everybody stay back and that's just him being like no you good i love you son bye (laughs) like i don't know it just felt like a genuine character to me in a sea of like all right everything kind of sucks I think that almost is another sort of point I would make then, is how do you feel then that the only genuine character, everyone else is a god in some way, either literal mm-hmm. or figurative, but the one human character that you, you just said that you think is the one that you have the most attachment to and the one that feels like he has the most uh, vulnerability and the most uh, compassion is the one to have to sacrifice himself. He's the one to die for everyone else. If you look at it from a narrative perspective, I think that it's fine I don't think that it was a great death because it was just like, how was Silas even supposed to know that like you, you were having trouble tracing the mother boxes to begin with? Mm-hmm. Like none of that came in from a writing standpoint. They didn't have to put him in that situation, but they just decided to, they're like, no, no, we do have to kill him. Like, because you know, we can't have, are you telling me that we're going to have a character here? Who's not an orphan? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> like no it i from a narrative standpoint there's or from a writing standpoint there's no reason for them to put him in that situation and for, with that i have problems but if we say okay the writers did it now how do i feel about it that it happened i think that it was contrived but fine yeah it's just one of those things where it bothers me more when i think about snyder's films as a whole rather than just and yes. in, in a vacuum on its own because he has a habit of the more likable characters, the more human characters being the ones who have to sacrifice themselves. Mm-hmm. So the badasses, quote unquote, can can you know thrive and survive. There's a, uh, you know, the, the example uh, I was talking about in that, that, that video from Dawn of the Dead, the remake, which also a mm-hmm. lot of this applies to as well. Uh, yes. Long, long before he ruined my favorite superheroes, he ruined my favorite zombie film. But uh, he... He has, like, this sort of more sensitive, like, guy main character. As well, as sensitive as a Zack Snyder main character can be. Um, <laughs> uh, but there's also this kind of, like... He's not actively violent. Yes. But there's also this this foul mouth, you know, the, the security guard who's, who's more of a dick, but he's kind of... He's, he's the one who gets the kind of the, the, the great big sacrificial, like, glory explosion death where he gets to go out looking cool and feeling like he had a big action moment. The more sympathetic guy, uh, who also has to die... Um, doesn't get that. He he gets this kind of just sad, pathetic mm-hmm. moment where he has to. He doesn't even have a bullet left to like kill himself. I don't think. Maybe I'm misremembering right. that, but I, I think it was something like that. And it was almost like no, no, he's not cool enough. He doesn't get the kill death. He doesn't get the kill thing. Um, and maybe that all not all that applies directly to this particular thing. But I, I couldn't help but not think about how he. He doesn't know how to build drama without having someone sacrifice themselves. It's, it's, right. it's just a crutch that he leans on. And this yeah. felt like another example of it. I, I think that he he probably grew up with several movies that, like, killed the dog. Like, the, <laughs> the character who did nothing wrong at all and who you had nothing but goodwill towards just bit it. And he's like, well, I feel something. So clearly that must have resonated in some way. But then when he grew up, he's like, well, I'm not actually going to kill dogs because apparently nobody likes that anymore. So instead, I'm just going to make a dog in a human shape. He's a good boy. He's done nothing wrong. He's a great man. And then bang, dead. I think was this kind of extends to just something I was saying earlier, but like a greater point to go into is Snyder's hmm. 
Like, he understands conceptually a lot of storytelling mechanics that are used in movies, but yeah. he doesn't necessarily understand why they work. So, right. I think that's the major thing between yeah. um, Watchmen and Superman was that he got Watchmen and he did a deconstruction on superheroes, which is what Watchmen is. And then he's like, okay, now I have Superman. I'm going to do the exact same thing. It's I don't like, know if I agree with that. I think Watchmen's a mess for reasons. I don't think it gets Watchmen either. Oh, no. I'm not going to say it's... <laughs> I'm not by any means going to say it's great, but I'm saying that, like, what the comics did, he tried to do with the movie. <sighs> I'm not saying he completely succeeded because there are issues in its own right, but... I, mean, I don't think he understands... He, he transplanted it visually, but he doesn't understand... You know, the example that's always brought up is that in the comics, Rorschach's violence is horrific and it's terrible mm. and it's brutal and we are not supposed to root for this character. But Zack Snyder thinks it's cool. So in he the movie... He was the dog, though. He made Rorschach the dog. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but, so he, he, I don't think he doesn't get... He doesn't really understand, which is why the TV show is much better because even though it's a completely different plot, it actually yeah. tries to say something in a very similar fashion to what the book did. The movie mm. just kind of tries to transplant it and doesn't really do anything. Uh, but yeah. I'm not talking about adaptation things. I'm talking about simple storytelling mechanics, like the character sacrifice. Or mm. um, I actually forgot the one that I was going to use a minute ago. Uh, <laughs> I'm blaming you for that because you, you put That's us on fine. adaptation okay. nonsense. Uh, Whatever. But no, just just like he understands that we have to have like a, a, a plot beat to propel us, or he understands that we have to care or so specifically with superman and i think despite the fact that there's less like specific rage inducing moments with superman where he's out of character per se outside of just mm-hmm. the sort of the broad complaints of like his resurrection being kind of silly and ultimately i'm just you know coming back for reasons and his memory just oh it just pops in he's fine he's fine yeah. now no one worry Clearly. about it um is that at the end of the movie Right. Again, going back to this idea that part of the heart of this film is that Superman's important, that we should believe in Superman. So for all the shit you want to give the theatrical cut, I do respect that it tried to at least pretend that the world gave a shit about Superman and that he was an inspiration to people. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I would say that this movie is also missing, there's a lot of talk about the, the age of heroes, the age of heroes being again. Yes. And I know everyone hates the family from the theatrical cut. Everyone hates that those inserts. But I'm going to I'm going to say this right now. This movie hmm. is missing any form of representation for the people that are yes. being saved by any of this that's happening. It's just it's a fight that happens in a CG field, right? A CG, mm-hmm. and I say field, I don't mean like a literal field. I mean like a a CG, just you know, walls of CG. It may be inside of a power plant. It may be inside of whatever. But that's I mean, all that it is, is. That is something different between the theatrical cut and the um, Snyder cut. Is that in the theatrical cut, they specifically lay out, they're like, oh, this town is sparsely populated, but there are people. There are many families living here who couldn't have gone anywhere else. It's a dangerous place, but it is home to people. Whereas in the Snyder Cut, they specifically say, like, no one is living here. It's completely devoid of, like, the army won't touch it. Nobody's here. Go nuts. And even, but even beyond that, even just the idea of the, the world being a threat, there's like mm-hmm. no regular human characters to right, no. yeah, to, that's to what care was, about that... or, or or anything. There's there's no 
and no one witnesses what they do. Much like mm-hmm. the end of Man of Steel, where hardly anyone even gets to see that Superman saved everyone. And again, he also helped destroy half the city, so it's debatable. <laughs> but like uh, again, just assume that he did save everyone, and that's all it was. Mm-hmm. No one saw it. So the idea of people now having this hero to believe in, and if we're talking about inspiration, if we're talking about Superman being an inspiration, and that then potentially the entire Justice League are inspirations, and part of what we love about them in the comic books is they do inspire everyone around them. They become these heroes, these celebrities almost, because of their stature, because of their symbols, because of what they stand for, and what they inspire people to be better, and so on and so on. Right. No one, other than, like, Alfred and Lois, know anything that they do in this movie. Well, I guess Darkseid, the villains, sure, but, like... Yeah. Well, okay, I guess counterpoint to that, do we... We don't have any reason to think that anyone does know. This could be an entire thing of just like, okay, we did this thing, it saved the world, but nobody knows about it. They're happy Superman's back because apparently everyone loves him off screen. But as for the rest of the league, like, it's like, who the hell is Aquaman? Who cares? Who's Flash? I've never even heard of him. We could, as soon as it gets into Snyder's next film, which let's be honest here, but as soon as it gets to Snyder's <laughs> next film, it might just be a thing of like, just like an out, a reporter holds up his microphone and is like, Superman, well, you're back. What happens? Like, well, the Justice League brought me back. Who? What are you? I know what? I'm not the sure. Hell that was a was Martian a... Manhunter. I'm not sure if that was a counterpoint to what I said. Because I mean, I'm saying, I'm saying, you're saying, you're, from the, you're saying from the audience perspective, there's nothing to relate to. Is that what you're you're saying there's, then, no, then, there's nothing to la- latch well, on to. Well, not just that, though. I think that's part of it. Okay. But part of mm-hmm. it is the importance of these characters is how what they mean to the people of the world. But no one in this world has any idea that they were ever in danger, that anything was ever wrong, and that these people almost sacrificed everything to save them. Yes, I understand. It may what have I'm well saying, never happened. What I'm saying is, <laughs> I don't think Zack Snyder cares about the comics. I don't... You're saying it was like, oh, Oh, in the comics, these people matter. (laughs) These people matter in the comics. These people should be these big things (laughs) that, like, everyone loves. But I think it's Zack Snyder's universe. But it's not not just... No, but it's not just about the comics, though. I mean, I brought Mm. that up as an example. I think, in a broad sense, this would equally be a problem. And if this was just a movie about, like, a team of heroes who weren't superheroes, right? Right. If no one on Earth ever knew there was going to be a problem... Unless that was, like, a theme of the Mm -hmm. film, is that, you know, like, you know, sometimes... You have to sacrifice yourself and no one will ever know. But you know, you'll know that you saved everyone. Like that, that's a fine thing to like do. Don't get me wrong. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that as a thing. But the movie's not doing that. The, mo- the movie just kind of has this happen and no one is ever aware that this team saved them all. Uh, there's there's no status to that. Um, and in yeah. a similar vein, like if you go back to Batman v Superman, one, one of the weird things about that movie is that... I mean, one of the things I hate about that film is that Superman looks like he's like just depressed and suicidal yeah. whenever he's like doing anything superman he seems to like he, he, yeah. he hates it it's such a burden which is the, the total opposite of superman and i'll never forget some asshole saying to me well wouldn't it be a burden well yeah to me and you because we're normal mere mortals but to superman yeah. no he's supposed to be inspiring to us you, you f- oh i'll try not to swear but see that's that's going back to what you already know about superman what you know about Superman. Yes, well, okay, Zack okay, well, Snyder well, is completely well, misunderstanding. Well, well, yes, I, I understand. But I've not finished my point yet, though. Okay. In Batman v Go Superman, ahead. they spend half of that movie showing mm. that it's 50-50. That some people worship, worship him like a, like a Jesus, and they've got their hands mm-hmm. up in there. And then there's other parts of the film where like, he's in court, and people are like, oh, is he a menace? Can we trust Superman? Blah, 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 blah. Right? Yes. Surely, 
if that film was made by a competent person, mm-hmm. the ending of that film would actually show us that he has changed at least some minds. That the idea that people who who were against him would be convinced by his sacrifice that he was ultimately there to do whatever he could to protect them. And that would win... Not necessarily everyone. I'd say everyone would change their minds. But the idea that you show that some people change... So then... Because if you see like one person change their mind, it could mean millions. It could mean thousands. It could mean whatever. Yes. Right? It's you the, show that in a representation. character. The smaller represents yes. the whole. All right. But we didn't yes. have that. So an I, extension I, in this, their victory, their mm-hmm. winning means nothing to no one. And if it means nothing to no one, then why mm-hmm. should I give a shit? Me and you are saying the exact same thing, but we're saying it in different ways. Because every single time I end my sentences here, I want to make clear, uh-huh. Zack Snyder doesn't care. Like, uh, yes, no, like nothing in this makes it. You opened up this whole thing with a thing of Zack Snyder and nihilism. Yes. And I'm telling you now, like, yes, you're right. He, he, it doesn't matter. No one should care. And that's the point that Zack Snyder said, do I like it? No. Do you like it? Clearly not. But he's doing can, what can, he wants to do. Can we just examine that for a second then? That this mm-hmm. director, whose core theme is, and his outlook in life is nihilistic, um, mm-hmm. has Dawn of the Dead somehow... And it's a zombie movie. You think, you know, the zombie movie necessarily shouldn't have a hopeful message. I'm not arguing that it should. But you mm-hmm. look at the original Dawn of the Dead, the original Dawn of the Dead had a lot of dark things. It had a lot of satire and commentary on the problems of society and commercialism and a lot of the things that, you know, Don is a wonderful, wonderful film because it has so much to mm. say. But the ending is actually still kind of hopeful. In fact, famously, I won't get too spoilery here, but the original ending of Don and Dead was meant to be very dark and kind of depressing. And Romero changed his mind and said, no, there should actually still be some hope because it's not, you know, not all hope is not lost, right? right. Uh, this does not serve the film to for me to end with this depressing thing. But then you watch the remake and, like, you know, when, when Ken Faree has his cameo, because he was in the original film, of course, but he's on the cameo, he's like the pastor on mm-hmm. TV, he's like, ah, this is happening because of the gays and because you, yeah. you marriage out, <laughs> sex out of wedlock and all these things, and he's, like, saying all these things. And it just, it doesn't feel like it's got a hint of irony, it's just there. It's like, it's, it's almost mm-hmm. like, instead of being something that our characters are meant to roll their eyes at and go, oh, this is silly, or he's a crazy man, it feels like he's actually, the Snyder's putting forth these points. He's like, hey, this is something that you should be thinking about during this movie. Like, right? You have this nihilistic director between Watchmen that kind of almost worships the violence that the comic itself was denouncing, Mm -hmm. uh, somehow takes Dawn of the Dead and makes it nihilistic. And uh, when it's a zombie movie already, so in theory should already be somewhat nihilistic. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, you you have this this director sucker punch which is one of the most depressingly shitty music video slash video game trait like so anti-feminist he can claim it's mm-hmm. feminist all he wants it is shite right mm-hmm. this director who's known for nihilism and you give him superman yep you give Zack snyder super the character who is the core opposite, the whole point of Superman, <laughs> is in the face of nihilism to say, no, we still stand a chance. We can still be better. We can do mm-hmm. better. So I just... I've made my, yeah. I've made my speech. No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to denounce any of that. That is that is entirely accurate. Everything you've said is entirely accurate. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the worst timeline, Pete. <sighs> oh, Everything dear, just... is bad and will continue to be. 
And that anyway, is, yeah. Uh, so I guess I guess we've been going long enough. Should we get into the epilogue? Because who? Oh God, boy. I'll just well actually before we get to the epilogue. Uh, okay. Uh, there's one more course there that we should talk about. Let's we'll kind of get two parts to it, and then, uh, yeah. So, yes. Uh, so we have to talk about uh, Lois is just moping around, and that's just kind of yeah. consistent throughout the film. There's a lot of slow motion of her walking in the rain or sniffing capes. Well, not notable. She doesn't sniff. There's no sniffing. Thank God. But she that would have been too much. Uh, there's an implication she's pregnant at one point because she's got a pregnancy test. Uh, Dude, that's I was like, <laughs> what are you even doing here, man? If this is not going to wrap up in this movie, then why is it here? Yeah, that's something that if I was if I had been tasked to do my director's cut of a movie that was originally going to set up sequels, but I know is not going to now, that mm-hmm. is one thing I would have taken out because I know what it means now, not because of I, what it, the reason for it then. I literally would have just replaced it with a box of Twinkies, like just <laughs> anything else to be like, yep, and that's there now. Or you could just not have a close-up of the, the badge. that she, cause It's like a press ID that she's getting. Like you could just No, she looked at the press ID. She had the press yeah. ID in her hands, and then it cut back to the desk to show that. <laughs> it cut back to the empty desk that had nothing but I, the pregnancy test. I have thoughts on the sequel bait in a minute, but we get to the, the, the epilogue. Yes, exactly. Right? But, so... The reason why I'm bringing this up specifically is because it obviously it drives it home really hard throughout the film. Um, and it leads to, of course, the Martian Manhunter, uh, yeah, part one of two cameo, uh, which is a character who was in Man of Steel and is now revealed as Martian Manhunter. Mm. Um, honestly, though, the entire the entire scene is just like fan service because it doesn't need to exist. The pep talk that because we think it's Ma Kent, you know, it's Martha Kent who is talking to. To Lois, but then she leaves the, the, the apartment and she turns into Martian Manhunter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be there. All it does is add to the time. Lois doesn't need it's, anything they, else. They actually have the exact same scene in the theatrical cut, but Lois is at the Daily Planet just doing fluff pieces. Mm. Like, she's not doing hard-hitting journalism. She's They meet in one of the meeting rooms, and they have the exact same talk of like, oh, I lost the home, but you mean you're the only ones who can talk about this because we're the only ones who knew... Yeah. I hope things go well for you, Lois. And then the scene ends. And we don't... Like, it's the same scene. It's shorter by half, but it's the same (laughs) scene. Which is funny because... Doesn't that... That's hurt the the idea that Lois and Martha... Because if if there's something that was a good idea, even though the scene may not have been great, the idea Mm -hmm. that Martha and Lois have bonded since Clark's death, that they have confided in each other, is actually a sweet idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, so in this version it turned i mean maybe they do talk to each other but we don't see any real example of it we we see an example of martian manhunter talking to her so that's gone that's i often i as soon as i saw the martian Manhunter, i was like what happens when lois brings this up what happens when (laughs) lois says hey martha thanks for coming and telling me to come back to the living and she goes i've been in kansas what are you talking about (laughs) yeah it, it, that's a bit silly uh and of course the other ones at the very end after the epilogue dream sequence uh where he basically just says hey i've decided i want to take part in this world and i should help all the fights that are coming and all i could think was so you didn't think you'd help in this one that was just no. happening and he really he had to get into the character of martha <laughs> kent it took a really long time especially since all i could think was 
You know, you're actually fairly on par with Superman in terms of powers. Like, you, yeah. you might have actually been able to solve this fight without Superman. Yeah. Um, which, I'd I mean, say so. That, that was something I didn't even get into earlier on, is, is what that does to the rest of the team, that Superman, like, is so powerful compared to them that the rest of the league together can't even, like, come close. Like, because one of the things I like about the animated Death of Superman movie is that mm. the Justice League are trying to fight Doomsday, and they can't, and they can't, and it's, it's, it's going through them. And I like it better than the comic, because in the comic... The Justice League at the time was a mostly hmm. B-listers, right? It was like, yeah, it was like Guy Gardner with his mushroom haircut and yeah. <laughs> Guy Gardner, the... Booster Gold, yeah. Um, and it's not that I dislike you know most of those characters or anything, but in the animated movie, because it's like no, it's the it's the the full proper the the main seven Justice hmm. League team that are trying to fight Doomsday and can. And there's a moment where like Batman's like injured after he's like the plane's been knocked down or something. He's like, "Oh, Clark, where are you?" And Clark's distracted because Clark's like telling Lois who he is, and that's still happening at the same time. It's a really good animated movie, actually. Yeah, but I love it. Even when Superman does show up, it's not like he can just take on. I mean, he, he literally dies. He literally dies trying to fight Doomsday. He succeeds, but it takes Spoiler everything he's got. Death of Superman. <laughs> yes, yeah, death of Superman. But. The idea being, it's not that he's that much more powerful than everyone else, but he's enough more powerful, right? The idea that he's the most powerful of us, but he's not. There's not such a gap between, like, you know, Wonder Woman and Green Lantern versus Superman that the right. that they're minuscule comparatively. But in this I mean, movie, oh yeah, yeah. Sur- it's it's blown out. Superman shows up, he's like, you know, flick, and stepping mostly, mm-hmm. oh, my horn, and then Wonder Woman decapitates him, and you know, yeah, whatever. I don't. I do wonder how much of Steppenwolf's durability, just based off of what we've seen, really comes down to his armor. Yeah, potential. Because yeah. it, it seems like as soon as he lost the armor, it was just like, and my sword slices right through him. No issues whatsoever. True, true. Uh, but I, I wanted things. to mention that because that, that, that bugged me. Yeah, no, I fully, it, it is, it is <laughs> and with Martian Manhunter, same sort of thing, where it's it's such a robust power set that he has, and now that Superman's back as well, it's like, what is, what is Aquaman gonna do? Yeah. What is Batman gonna do? Especially because Batman was always like the master planner sort of thing. I feel like in any future future installments, it's just gonna be he's the bank. He's just the oh, we yeah. need a gadget to beat this guy. Okay, let me use my thousands of millions of dollars. Because he doesn't outsmart anyone. All he does is use guns, bizarrely. Yeah, uh, he's not the smart because that's the thing. That's why I wish he would have went to martial arts because that instills some sense of like he's learned something. He yes. is mentally capable with the guns. It's just like and he knows how to shoot. Yeah, and and Aquaman is. Ba- it feels like Aquaman strength wise is similar to Wonder Woman in the final fight. It feels like right. that's what the, the way they. It's like the other two fighters. That's um, the way they set it up, too, is that yeah. they were just the muscle to take down Steppenwolf, while Cyborg is the brain. Yes, and Flash is doing stuff with these powers that are unique to him. And mm-hmm. d- like I say, as much as the, the execution is a bit iffy, I do at least like the idea of making him so important that, like, they would have all failed without Flash. Like, Fl- Flash oh, yeah. stepping up and reversing time. Um, it's the one thing that happens after Superman shows up where Superman wouldn't have saved everyone. Like, ultimately, mm-hmm. he would have failed, and it's Flash who does this. Um, yeah. and, check out Flash in theaters 2018 <laughs> and there's an argument to be made that Flash in some ways is more powerful because he can run back in time and he you know so on and so on but yeah, uh, but yeah. I, I wish they actually explored those ideas a bit more rather than it just happening and that was it I'm, would you like a five hour Snyder cut <laughs> I'm just saying you could have t- cut down other things and made mm. room for it no okay. I really needed the Icelandic singing 
Yeah. I needed the ancient lamentation it's, music. It, These are all important things. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Because just before we get to this epilogue <laughs> scene that I know we've been building up to, yes. it's just how drawn out every single scene. It's just a scene of people talking to each other. Oh my god! Uh, you know, like the the. The, the the singing starts in the soundtrack when Wonder Woman even looks at a thing and she looks at a painting and is like yeah 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 you know in the soundtrack and... that's remarkably similar actually <laughs> you know it, just throughout the whole thing it, it's, it's a slog it's it's just a dull slog for the most I part have to, I have to think that because this has taken place so long after the original mm-hmm. of when the original would come out. Zack Snyder did hear like, oh, wait, people don't really like Wonder Woman's theme. Okay, well, I'll use it that one time at the bank hostage scene mm-hmm. and then never again, which is how the theatrical cut did it as well. It was the one time at the bank hostage scene and then never again. But the theatrical cut at least had other music to play. <laughs> it was any time Wonder Woman did anything. You know, I, I will we say... We heard some Enya. There is some dodgy music. There's there's like a weird drum thing that happens when they're showing up at the tunnels in the middle fight. Like when yeah. Batman, Flash, and Wonder Woman walk into that that area, there's like a weird, really intense drum thing happening for no mm-hmm. reason. Uh, but I will say that Junkie XL is not a bad composer. He did do Mad Max Fury Road after all. And I yeah. do think, while I don't like Man of Steel that much, I do think Hans Zimmer's score for it is mostly pretty great. So whenever he does use that, you know, Superman slash Clark theme from that movie, it does actually work quite well. And the, you yeah. know, Danny Elfman's music by comparison, you know, yeah. I got, I gotta say, just me personally, I was going through the movie. I finally hit the end. The epilogue ended after an eternity, yes. and it's it went to credits, and I was like, okay, it's good, it's done, it's over. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of happy that I didn't hear Hallelujah, and then right then. <laughs> <laughs> The Don't entire s- credits is hallelujah. But and you, I'm don't, just, uh, you don't notice it at first, though, because at first it's just yeah. like instrumental. It's just piano at first. and you're like, It's just piano, but then they get into the chords, the fourth, the yeah. fifth, the minor fall, the major lift. <laughs> and then the singing eventually comes in. It's like, yeah. ah, that didn't hallelujah. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they win. They, they stand triumphant on top of like a nuclear reactor. Yes. Um, oh, actually, this is one mm. thing I didn't even mention. Uh, is the black Superman suit and why yes. it's here? How how he ends up in it? So mm-hmm. in the comics, is uh, remind me. I, I might be misremembering this, no, but I, I think he's buried in the black suit because it's like his funeral suit, right? I, I if I, it's not that, it's the suit that like uh, he's put in and he's when he's in the regeneration chamber. Yeah, thing. he was at least put yeah. into it. I don't know if he was yes. buried in it. And it was the purpose, you know, part of the purpose was that it was there to help regenerate him. So when he comes back and he wakes up, he's in the black suit for the rest of the, the, the story because that's just what he happened to be wearing. Yeah. In this movie, when he becomes super, when he realizes who he is, he flies to the ship in the Arctic, uh, mm-hmm. which is the fortress essentially in this universe, and. Yeah. He's walking down the aisle and all these outfits are sort of like spinning and the, and the blue one's there. The, his blue suit from the previous films mm-hmm. is there. But he turns and he's, we don't see what he's looking at, but he looks at something and he sort of smells like, oh, this is the one for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he chooses it over his regular suit. And then we get like a recreation of the, you know, the door opening with the cape flowing and he's in the black suit. And mm-hmm. so that was a little bit odd. What's especially odd is that at the end of the film when the the the, the closing narration's happening, yes. and, and we get the oh he's in the alleyway, he's ripping the shirt open moment. It is still in this cut, but he's oh, still wearing God. the black suit. Yeah. So is he just in a black Superman suit now forever? Well, but then in the epilogue he's not. He's back in the red and blue. So. Oh, but he's evil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> All it could make me think of was um, Gleason and Tomasi's run on Superman. Mm. Uh, issue number one, there's that whole double-page splash of it's time for the colors to fly. Yes. Like, a whole lot has happened, and then it's the two-page spread of him showing the red and blue. Because he has been wearing the black suit, that Superman's been wearing the black suit for a whole miniseries at that point. Yes. If, if you want to at least pretend that the end is hopeful, which I think was the point of that whole ending narration, was to yes. pretend that, like, no, now we're full of hope again. Bring back the color. Like, why? Why? I don't even understand why I went to Black Suit to begin with, but if we just say, okay, fine, you had to get that emo phase out. Just wear <laughs> the colors back. I don't... <sighs> it's it's baffling. It's it baffling is. in so many ways. Um, I... <sighs> Yeah, I, it, it boils back down to like, you know, the film is also more desaturated in this version. Mm, uh, I may yes. even mention the four by three, the IMAX ratio. I mean, I didn't, I honestly didn't even notice the aspect ratio until about halfway through. I was like, wait a minute, this is four three. What the hell's going on? <laughs> I mean, um, I, I noticed it right away. It's that. I mean, if that. The, the weird thing about it is that. Well, I mean, was, HBO Max literally opens up with a thing saying this yeah. is presented in 4 by 3 but I didn't read that. Cause... Like, don't get me wrong. I am all about original aspect ratios, and like a movie made in like 1943 is in 4x3. It should remain in 4x3, mm-hmm. uh, or 133 3 or 134x1. Or, or on a how far television back. show that's made in 4x3 maybe shouldn't be put into 16x9. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, or even if you go far back enough, 1.37x1 uh, oh. was a ratio as well. Because uh, that's the thing, the old movies that were shot 4x3 are actually slightly different to 4x3, but it's close enough that no one cares when you just lop off the millimetre <laughs> like right. difference. Um, yep. But anyway, so that's all, all good. But here's the thing. This movie, while it was going to be presented in IMAX, it was shot knowing that it was also going to be presented in regular theatres, and it had been framed also for that. Um, yeah. The example I'll go back to here is that Terminator 2, right? It's rather like, yeah, like a recent film that had like IMAX in mind. Terminator mm-hmm. 2 was shot in Super 35, which meant that it actually was shooting much bigger than the the you know where the image actually was going to end up being in the final you know widescreen two three five to one you know mm-hmm. cinematic presentation right. And what the Super 35 did is it did record on a big square, uh, but obviously when they were filming they had like you know their their lines on their screen or their masking so they knew what the actual image was. Uh, but what it did was, is they could frame it for two ratios. The idea being that the VHS and the TV version wouldn't be as butchered as movies that are shot in that widescreen okay. format usually are because they've kind of accounted for it by having some mm-hmm. extra at the top and bottom so that some shots are better off having more at the top and bottom than being cropped at the sides. And you know, But ever since we've went to DVD and Laserdisc and obviously Blu-ray and we've preserved original widescreen ratios, it's been in that widescreen format every time because that is the... The main intended version that it was always supposed to be, that was the one that Cameron wanted. That was the, the one he really right. cared about. The, the, mm-hmm. the, the alternative was there to work, and it was approved in the sense that, hey, this is not a bastardization. I'm signing off on this because at the time, this is a TV format that everyone was using. So, whatever. Right. Um, and this is all just to say that, so he, he really would have preferred this to be in regular theaters and the, like, the full IMAX ratio the whole time. This was something that he wanted and obviously the comparison here is nolan's like two bat films that switched to imax and it's not even the full imax ratio this they switched to 16 by 9 uh during some of the key sequences that were shot in imax cameras uh so 
I mean, the image quality is very high. I'll say that. I could tell. Uh, yeah. But it is very desaturated to the point where at the end, Superman's in his black suit. And technically, Flash is meant to be in red. Wonder Woman's meant to have color in her outfit. And I think you can barely tell <laughs> because it's so desaturated. Oh, no. It's Not at all. You know. Um, I think it was. I think the color grading was built for Batman and maybe Jason Momoa, but that was yeah. that was it. And and apparently, I think they're they're putting out BVS in this like IMAX ratio. They're okay or something. Forgetting the ratio, going to the color grading. There, there was talk at least. I don't know if it's going further. Oh, I saw this on Twitter. I saw this on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're making a release of this Snyder cut. In black and white. It's almost black and white already. <laughs> yeah, what's going to change? What honestly is the only thing I could think was that is going to change in from my perspective. When I thought of it, this was the scene that was going on was when he is walking down the row of suits and he stops and looks at the black and white. one. I'm like, <laughs> well, the other one's going to look like it's black and white, too. How are we going to differentiate that? What's going to be the difference of that suit and this suit? This one's a bit later. Oh, good. <laughs> what's so strange about it is though is that just shifting a movie to black and white doesn't mean it was shot for black and white uh, no. the first example I can think of in the last like 15 years that had a black and white version after the fact was The Mist and the reason why that happened is because the director actually wanted it to be black and white to begin with mm. and when you shoot for black and white you light the scene differently you light the right. scene uh, because you know things like reds look the same as black in black and white, yeah. so you have uh, to light things different. You have to make characters distinct from the backgrounds, so on, so yeah. on. Lots of vision did something with that, yeah, for its early episodes. So, and that, and that's neat. So you so you actually have to make it a little bit differently from from you know from scratch. Uh, so just whacking on a black and white filter, essentially. Uh, I mean, maybe he's doing more. Maybe he's doing some like digital grading to like lighten and darken certain he's, things. So he's it works, going to but... take the contrast bar and move <laughs> it one peg to the left. That's what's going to happen. Yes. Uh, so there's that. All right, let's talk about yeah. this stupid epilogue scene because we're okay. So I'm just going to run through the entirety of the epilogue, and then we'll talk about it beat by beat here. So I mean... the epilogue flashes up. Oh, and the only the only positive thing I'm going to say about this epilogue is okay, that it gave me the points I needed to get a bingo on our <laughs> Snyder Cut bingo card. That's all I'm going to say about I was, it. I I briefly heard right that now. like one or two people won. So yeah, great. All right, so the whole thing opens up with Cyborg listening to the second half of his dad's speech on the tape recorder. That first off, can we just say that Cyborg now has God powers? He, like <laughs> he just foomp, made it. It's just fixed now. He, he reassembles... Because it's in pieces, in literal pieces, and he reassembles it like... Right. Like Magneto with, like, metal parts. Just goes right. whoosh, now, poof. If it's only technological stuff, then maybe I can buy it. But I'm I'm kind of banking on the fact that he just has mother box powers of can rearrange all matter, in which case, he is God. So he can actually do that thing in Superman 4, Quest for Peace, where Superman uses vision to rebuild the wall. Exactly. Yes. They're remaking Superman 4 and calling it Snyder. Or cyborg. Anyway, uh, so then as soon as he's done with all the stuff and they have inspirational images of Flash running and Wonder Woman doing whatever, and then it ends on Superman opening up and showing the black uh, S instead of the red one, it smash cuts to what was previously the post credit scene of theatrical cut of Lex Luthor in Deathstroke, Arkham. Deathstroke, yeah. And Deathstroke and them on the yacht. Oh, by the, the way, old... Jesse Eisenberg still sucks as Lex Luthor. Yes. Continue. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fight you. Um, they, the only major change 
that they did was in theatrical cut they just said like oh they're making a league how about we make a league of our own <laughs> whereas in this cut he says oh deathstroke you want to kill batman he's bruce wayne okay mm-hmm. and then comes a seven minute long nightmare scene which set in the apocalyptic future. Now, I want, to, I want to mention something here, right? Before you get to what's in this scene. Oh, no, go ahead. Is that... I'm not even sure I remember what happened in the scene because I was losing my mind. So, if it had just ended before this scene, right? Mm-hmm. If it ended on the speech that was being made, and maybe you keep, maybe you keep the Lex Luthor Deathstroke thing as still a mid-credit scene or whatever, right? Just because it's right. separate. But you end it on the speech, you end it on whatever hopeful image of the last hero who's, like, standing there heroically... Superman S. It would have been like, you know what? That wasn't great, but it it was coherent. It was missing a lot of things I'd want in a Justice League movie that I, you know, complained about in the theatrical cut. I can still complain about now, but it was Mm -hmm. a coherent movie. It didn't piss me off that much. The the first flashing was laugh out loud bad, but it it lasted too long. It needed to be, like, halved in runtime, but it didn't do anything too bad to piss me off, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a big improvement from Batman v Superman. But to go back to the pregnancy test, right? And where I said oh, that if you know God. you're not making any more, why would you insist on that shot going in? So I extend that question to this following question. Unless you actually think there's a chance that your Super Snyder Cut is going to get enough people hashtagging Restore the Snyderverse so mm-hmm. that you might actually get to make your sequel at some point, as much as you might say in interviews, you're done. Yeah. I don't care if you said it. Why would he go out of his way to shoot this new scene this 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 scene is as far as i know is entirely mm-hmm. new when you were setting up the bingo cards yes i believe one of the topics you put forward was like sequel bait or something like that yes like something like that and i specifically remember commenting that is a free square there is no doubt in my <laughs> mind that despite the fact that he is done there will be sequel bait so why does he do it? Because I, I, even when I suggested that, <laughs> Snyder, Snyder doesn't care. That's that's the whole thing here. There right, you go. Right there, there you go. There Snyder you go. Doesn't Ang- care. Angled it just right. Right. Snyder doesn't care. So here's the, here's the thing with this is that when I said that that, that I, when I put forward that suggestion, I was thinking, oh, it's probably an easy square because the the Deathstroke Lex Luthor scene is probably still there. But you right. never know, he might actually choose to take that out because it's not leading to anything else. He might choose to make it feel more standalone by taking out the bait. So mm-hmm. the squares was more about, will they keep the bait in that was already there, right? Mm-hmm. And the pregnancy test would probably be the same thing, where that was probably there originally and he insisted on keeping it. Well, it wasn't in theatrical cut. He may have filmed right. it originally, but it wasn't in theatrical cut. Well, I think he probably filmed it originally, yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, no, it'd be hard to do the close-up of the pregnancy test and the, the drawers as reshoot. <laughs> it's a pretty yes. confined shot. But here's the thing. He went out of his way to shoot this nightmare sequence. So if you remember in Batman v Superman, at one point in the film, Batman had this nightmare, which apparently is also a prophecy of the actual future. For some reason, he's having real prophecy dreams. It's not just that he's having a scary dream. Where Superman is evil, the world is a post-apocalyptic wasteland, and he's using machine guns to just brutally murder people, which I, I hated at the time as well, of course. Yeah. And here we get this tease of a world where he's working with a band that we'll call, I suppose, the you know the post-apocalypse Justice League, 
We're still going to call them literally the worst. <laughs> we, we have Cyborg still there. Flash is still there, but he's got his armor suit that we saw when he ran back in time from Batman v Superman. Yes. Mira's replaced Aquaman because apparently Aquaman's dead. Mm. Right? And she's got her stupid English accent. Doesn't, it yep. sounds horrible. Because like, at one point she's like, I'm going to get that bastard. <laughs> like, really Let the episode. bastard come. I'll kill him for what he did for Arthur. And okay. Deathstroke's there. And I didn't notice this, but Connor pointed, and I couldn't not notice it, which is that he didn't actually shave his hair into a mohawk. Why Deathstroke need to have a mohawk for this scene, I don't know. But they just did it's it with CG. It's the apocalypse, Pete. It's always a mohawk. <laughs> they did it with CG. So you could kind of oh, see where God. they'd kind of like cut off his hair. <laughs> Because I, I don't want, I don't want to reopen the movie to check. So I'll take your word for it. Right. Here's the thing, and I've said here's the thing about fifty times in this review, but this really no, is is the there's thing. There's a lot of things going on. All throughout the movie, we knew that he shot a Joker scene for this, and that, we got. To, I actually forgot about yeah. that for three hours, and then this hit me. Yeah. So we we get to when they're landing in is it Russia, whatever the landing, where the big final fight's all going to take place. And mm. someone in chat commented that there's exactly an hour left. And I'm like, how is there an hour left? We're, we're, we're in the, the big final fight. It's just starting. How is there an hour left? Mm. And it's whatever. Okay? But it's like, okay, but we still have this joke. I guess that's going to be the end. And we get to the end of the final. Because part of me was thinking, you know, when, when Flash runs in and turns back time, and he goes into, like, Cyborg's, like, he hit Cyborg and we go to Cyborg's head and he's speaking to his dead parents and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, maybe this is how we're going to get the Joker scene. Maybe it's when Batman touches a mother box during this big final fight, there's going to be a scene where he talks to the Joker. Because that's his worst nightmare. It's his worst fear. Whatever. Right? right? That would mm-hmm. make sense. But then all that ends. Like, you know, the fight's won. They're standing heroically. There's a speech. There's a there's a, a monologue from Cyborg and or Silas even, you know, talking about mm-hmm. heroes in the future and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, is this like a post credit scene? Are they doing the Joker scene as a post credit? And then we cut to this wasteland, and I just get flashbacks of what this was in Batman v Superman. Yeah. And I'm like, he's still teasing this future where Superman's evil. Like we're still I... doing this. There, the reason that it kicked into my head three hours in was because three hours in was slightly before the point where he he's sitting. They're just about to go to Russia or whatever, and he's sitting at the desk, and he recounts the first nightmare from bvs he's telling diana he's like i had this dream of barry saying lois lane is the key and And she's like oh well silly silly me i thought that was going to be relevant in this movie that's what i'm thinking (laughs) i'm sitting there i'm like oh he's bringing it back up again because it's going to be the key in the third act like yes barry's going to have to time travel and it's going to matter here okay, I don't really see how that's going to work, but then again, you surprised me with Martha, so sure, let's go with it. <laughs> so then the movie progressed, and it was never brought up. And I was like, okay, so why did they bring up the nightmare scene? Oh, it's because they are reminding you so that you're not surprised by this nightmare scene. And I... I know you're not a fan of Lord of the Rings movies. No. No. But you know the memes about like Return of the King ending eight hundred times. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is I had the exact same feeling here. I was sitting there <laughs> like, okay, they're on the nuclear rim and end. No, uh, epilogue. Okay, all right, cool, great. Okay, we get the speech and he opens the S and, and nope. Okay, Lex, sure. This was a scene before. Great, cool. All right, <laughs> they swell the music and, and what is this? Yes, and then. 
I thought like at any given moment this scene could end, but it went on for seven minutes. And I, yeah, I thought it was going to end like a cliffhanger during this scene. There's a sort of like dark kind of like, oh, this could be kind of yes. thing. And there's another scene. And, that, there's a scene where Marsha Marhart comes to Bruce after this. Is what actually ends on. Oh my god, I was losing my mind at this point. It was already like, mind you, I paused the movie a little bit in the middle just because I needed a break. It was five a.m. my time. <laughs> I had work. And I was like, I just end movie. Stop. Stop going. I'm done. <laughs> and that Martian Manhunter scene happened for no reason at all. And he flew off and finally it ended and it's like for, for autumn or whatever. And I was like, okay, are we good? Are we done? Yeah, there was a little bit more of the Green Lantern and the the flashback when they're talking about how the, the you know the, the, the heroes fought Darkseid once upon a time. Yes. Uh, there was a bit more Green mm -hmm. Lantern. Well, it's just annoying me that there wasn't a Green Lantern on the team again. I was like, what? Yeah. you keep showing well, me this Green Lantern, but whatever. Yeah, so anyway, with the epilogue, um, I, I'm genuinely, because this is new footage, I am genuinely baffled with the cast he assembled. I, I don't understand it because, because you have... Ben Affleck, who is repeatedly said he's done. Ezra Miller, who can't get his own movie off the ground. Amber Heard, that's an entire bucket of worms I don't want to get into. Bray Fisher, <laughs> same deal. Every single person he showed. And of course, Jared Leto. Why? None of the people he picked have any point showing back up again later. I feel like he purposely picked them to be like, this won't happen. I'm filming this because I want it to happen, but it won't happen. I... I... I, all I could think is that even if he says he's he's done, is that this scene he knows what he's doing. He is stoking people to want it. The people who yes. wanted Snyder Cut originally are going to be like just you know foaming at the mouth, wanting mm -hmm. this. So they're going to because this is the thing I, I said earlier that I think there's like three sequels set up in this. One is this post-apocalyptic future. One is Dark Side showing up, which is obviously what part two is always going to be. Yes. Um, maybe you can mix those two together somehow, I, I guess, mm -hmm. with like a, a weird broken up timeline. Uh, but then on top of that, you also have like Lex Luthor's team, the Injustice, the Legion of Doom, whatever you want to call them. Yep. Like you have all these potential sequel routes to go in. Did you hear post release? I don't know if it was post release or just barely pre release, but did you hear of his interview in Vanity Fair? Mm, because well. he. I mean, he I heard a quote, up, but I didn't know it was from that. He straight up said what he wants to do, like what the next oh. movies would have been. Mm -hmm. And he explains the pregnancy test. He explains exactly why Superman was evil. He explains all of it. And I don't know if you want to hear it, but it's dumb. It's all dumb. I have no doubt it's dumb. You could tell me in a second. I, I'll just, on, on the context of this scene. Yes. There is nothing I know I want less in this life than a continuation of anything this sets up. Yeah. I Honestly, I was almost okay with it right up until Jared Leto started laughing. I was like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. His laugh is terrible. It, his his performance is. is Joker, which was terrible in Suicide Squad. It's so, it may even be worse here somehow, and I don't even think yeah. that... I didn't know that was possible. Like Because you know he references you know dead Robins, and but like I don't care... Like what the context is, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe if you set it up enough and give me a story where Batman's acting out a character, that's fine. The problem is though here is that this is just in character for the Batman in these movies. So right. Batman uttering the line, you know, that he promised Harley Quinn that when Joker when he kills Joker, he goes, And make no fucking mistake, I will <laughs> kill you. Uh like I never oh, like God. No. I I never Again, unless you're setting up that he's acting out a character, which again, mm -hmm. he is not here for these movies. This is completely in line nah. with who he's been. Yep. 
I never want to hear Batman say that he is this determined on killing someone. Ever. No. I... <sighs> I think my biggest problem with the scene and what was driving me insane was Jared Leto's lines. Mm-hmm. All of them. I don't, I, maybe it was a direction thing. Maybe it was him doing whatever he was doing from Suicide Squad. But anytime he started talking, he didn't start talking. He paused. <laughs> he held that pause for at least 10 seconds. And then he started his line. I was like, I got sleep, man. Come on let's go and it's like <laughs> it doesn't further anything it's not like he's doing something in the meantime he's literally just sitting there i guess building tension but none of this matters none of what we're looking at here matters this is the epilogue to the epilogue to the epilogue <laughs> he's so <We're> done <laughs> he's oh so terrible God. and like his performance is bad uh you know evil superman shows up and that's you know kind of the cliffhanger of the, the moment yeah. there, there's kind of a line about you know why the hell did you bring him uh or something like that yeah um, whatever and it's, it's whatever right but everything about it it's just like, any it's, it's weird to say it had any goodwill before now just for not being <laughs> batman v superman but it kind of did in a, in a way a weird way where it yeah you know, it was so focused on just doing the plot of the movie that it didn't have Batman or Superman do anything, like... I mean, Batman still had the machine guns in the Batmobile, he was using the laser gun, but for the most yeah. part, there was nothing to... Like, when I watched Batman v Superman, and he was, like, intentionally throwing, like, a villain's vehicle into, like, a building so that it'd blow up, I'm like, right. what the hell are you doing? This is not Batman. There was one thing that wasn't in theatrical cut that surprised me with what I thought was character growth, was that in that ending speech from Silas, where he's like, oh, mm-hmm. heroes, or blah, 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 they show Jim lighting the signal, and then they cut to Batman, who is on a tank. That's like, right! He's got like a, a bat tank. A full tank. <laughs> like, from Batman Strike, or Batman Returns. Like, I don't... Why? Or The Dark Knight Returns, I mean. Like, I don't understand... Was the problem here not enough guns? Was that what we learned? No, Joe, you know it is. It's because Snyder just thought it looked cool and he wanted to have it in the movie, so it's just fan service. I mean, I know that. Yeah. I'm trying to think it's, of it in well, a well, narrative well, sense. That's what, it, that's what it is. It's just it's just fan service. Uh, um, I, there's no reason for it. it the, the epilogue, like, it, like I, I didn't remember how angry I could get at a Snyder DC movie, and then this mm-hmm. scene showed up and showed me everything like it, it did both it did batman being a completely out of character murderous just wheel, gun wielding idiot it showed me evil superman and i'm like evil superman's an overdone thing anyway and it's not that it can't be justified and you can't have you know a, a kryptonite involved or main control involved yeah, or something clearly. or alternate universe involved whatever and it it's tom the, taylor writing it all good and it's been done well in the comics sometimes sometimes it's not like they overdo it but sometimes Mm -hmm. it has been good it's not that conceptually but the thought of Zack when his Superman wasn't even that good compared (laughs) to what Superman's supposed to be it's just no I want no part of it and uh, I don't think Ben Affleck's that good as Batman Ezra Miller is so miscast uh, as Flash and he's not the most miscast well maybe he is I don't know like Lex and Joker are also the fact that about Joker though, it's not even that he's miscast because on paper he seemed like a good choice. He's just terrible. Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. just terrible. <laughs> Whereas Lex and Flash, I just think are completely miscast. Uh, and... I th- I feel like Jesse Eisenberg. He has a Lex somewhere deep down, especially after like Social Network. He has a Lex somewhere deep down 
but it was Zack Snyder directing him saying like, no, 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 I want you to be the Joker. Be the Joker. I always think he was going to be at least somewhat miscast just because Eisenberg has kind of a weaselly thing about him. And to me, Lex yeah. is more of a gravitas to him. You know, yeah, I, I, I'm just I, saying he could have been better on his own accord. I think Zach accelerated the problem. Regardless of any like, interpretation I've ever seen, the one thing Lex always has, I think, in common with every version of it I've ever seen is that I buy that he could command a room. Like, before Superman showed up, he was looked up as, as one of the best people on the planet because he knew how to work people, he knew how mm-hmm. to, like, speak confidently, he knew, you know... Lex and Batman v Superman was this weird, like, jar of piss maniac. <laughs> like, I, don't know I do believe that was Grandma's sweet tea, but all right. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, he's just... So, um, actually, one of the scenes... Of, uh, this is just a minor point, but one of the scenes early on, uh, just to go back, uh, partly because this was one of these first times I really started to get annoyed by how bad the green screen was in some shots. Like, uh, why, why they didn't just film in a field, I don't know, but... <laughs> The scene that went on forever, especially compared mm. to the theatrical cut, which is like the Amazon's protecting the box, but then Steppenwolf shows up and it's like oh a God. game of trying to get to the box and they're on, and eventually there's a whole chase in the horses. Everything outside, when they're in like just the, at least the Highlands of Scotland almost, right? Mm-hmm. But it's all really CG and it's green screened and it looks terrible. Like there's a point and if you look at the ground, it has that almost video game thing, but there's a, a point where past it, the texture gets worse. Oh, <laughs> and it, and it just looks really bad in the distance. And I'm like, it's a field. Why didn't you just go into a field? <laughs> I don't know if you're aware, but there's a virus thing going on. So They, didn't, they shot this in 2016. I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, I do wonder how much of that, because in the theatrical, that was what weirded me out about that scene too, was in the theatrical cut when I was rewatching it. It is so much shorter. It's still long, but it is so much shorter. That whole thing with like, her running to the door and then going above mm-hmm. it and then slashing the guy down and then taking care of one of the Amazons. And then like the running out past the gates was cut by like at least a minute and a half. And mm-hmm. then the whole thing crumbling into the ocean, not in the theatrical cut at all. And of course there's Amazon sacrificing themselves left and right to make sure this box gets, which of I, mean, I suppose it shouldn't surprise me that the guy that made 300, which is literally a movie about 300 people, just sacrificing themselves is yeah. <laughs> into like sacrifice constantly what was what was the quote you said in the beginning of the movie a good death is its own reward boom except Apply it's that not to... that is nihilistic as shit it is yeah. not zach stop it <laughs> uh i just uh, real quick about the mother boxes yes that's something the snyder they snuck up on me with the snyder cut because i forgot how they treated the mother boxes as the MacGuffins. And I was like, oh, yeah, the boxes, they do the thing. But I forgot they were mother boxes. I'm like, first off, the mother boxes are just, in the comics, essentially phones. But fine, if you want to ignore that, they're they're the magic do-anything things. But then he came up with the unity. And in the theatrical cut, that was it. That was the big thing, the unity. Putting the three boxes, unity. And I was like, man, that's... Why Why isn't... This is post-theatrical cut, mind you. I'm like, why, why not just do anti-life? Why not just... Like, that's clearly the thing. Why not just do that? And I thought the same thing during the Snyder Cut. Right up until more sequel bait, where they were like, oh, wait, that Earth, that Earth I'm on right now, that one, it has the anti-life. How is that different from the Unity? Shut up. It's the (laughs) anti-life. Yeah, I mean, 
The fact that there's only three boxes as well, because that's different, right? That's like a... I mean, Mother Boxes, I mean, in the theatrical cut, it's always three. That's how it always is. But um, yeah. the fact that, like, yeah, no, they're Mother Box, Mother Box, everyone has a Mother Box in the comics. Yes. They're all just phones. They just, uh, like, Mother that's Box. That's what I'm saying. Like, in the comics, they're not, like, these three special MacGuffins. They're, like, no. there's there's tons of them. Like, every, everyone yeah. from, like, you know, Apocalypse and uh, whatever has one, basically. Yeah, not, not literally, much. but, like, yeah, like, they're, they're pretty... End up, so actually that's a good point we haven't really talked about dark side that much really surprisingly True. uh because he doesn't matter to the plot he doesn't he, he is nothing but sequel bait and uh does it obviously in the theatrical cut they replace all the flashback stuff they just swapped out the character model for yep. uh you know what's his face uh, uh steppenwolf. steppenwolf thank you um yep. it was okay, right? I, I see how that works fine um and mm. you see him a couple of times eventually there's like a live call where like the dude like melts into <laughs> dark yeah. side which looked really bad uh, cg was terrible um but then eventually there's like a live portal at the end right this is this mm-hmm. is the thing as the decapitate steppenwolf his head goes flying into the portal as it closes so it lands at, at dark side's foot and it's mm-hmm. like hey that earth is special the antelope's there he's like mm-hmm. We shall do this the old way. And he walks away with granny goodness. Which again, it feels like a bit of fan service. I mean, at least at the time, I get that it was genuine sequel bait in the sense that it wasn't just bait. It was, no, we are genuinely going to make the second one. And then, of course, that changed mm. at some point. But right. at least when it was put in there, they were planning and immediately paying it off in the next one. So Yeah. Um, and then earlier on, when they're uh, resurrecting Superman, right before Cyborg says go he has that vision i guess in the same sort of way that batman has his yeah where he sees dark side just killing everyone just wonder woman dead aquaman dead yeah, yeah. everyone dead there's a there's a dead green lantern they killed off a green lantern before they introduced the green lantern it was uh it was kilowog you actually you can tell it's kilowog that was kilowog yeah Ugh, i don't want to rewatch this movie don't make me do that i, I remember thinking that's kilowog it at least looked like kilowog to me all right well I'll take your word for it, and I will I get, give it one half of a point. you that Snyder will take a beloved character from a from a comic property and kill them without even introducing them? Um, does that sound familiar? <clears throat> Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, <laughs> I was open. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, you know what, I'd forgotten to talk about that, so I'm glad you brought it up, because mm-hmm. it was there. And, like, again, so you're going to have them have prophecies of both Darkseid's invasion and this apocalyptic future. Like, you're doing mm-hmm. the... the, the we see the future tease twice for two different yeah, things. And of course. I just, like, why, why do it for both? That just feels... It feels like you're, you're cannibalizing your own plot mechanics. However, that I, I almost guarantee that that was not, like, something added in reshoots. I think that was in the originals because in the theatrical cut, when he's given the countdown to Barry, they have him go on one. So he goes, five, four, three, two, one, vroom. Whereas in the Snyder Cut, it's five, four, three, two, one. Then he has the vision, and then they say go. Uh, so they so. cut it beforehand, just so they're like, we don't have to, we don't have to deal with the fact that he didn't actually say go. We just yes. he ran it one. So that's just I'm, that's that's a good change. Good job, Whedon. As <laughs> the thing, I think at least the intent behind a decent amount of the changes, I understand what they were trying to accomplish and what mm-hmm. they were trying to add to the movie. And people there people some... make fun of the family, but honestly, I think the family, at least the idea of having this family that needed to be saved right. was a good idea. Like, yeah, I, I, think I, we, I think Whedon knows there needs to be a human stake in things. Yeah. And it makes sense. 
My, but there are certain things I didn't get, like uh, the scene where Diana first comes across Cyborg, the meeting in person. Yes. In the Snyder Cut, he flies in around a building, lands, and then starts talking. In the theatrical cut, he just walks in from a side alley, just from <laughs> off camera. That's about and weird. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, why did you just not have the CGI done? What? Uh, well, I, no, what I don't was... think they did because I, I that's where most of the most of this budget it costs seventy million to do this cut, and I think other than that, the two scenes at the end, I think all of it was just to finish CG for because all of the scenes yeah. that were technically in the script or were in the shot that the actors for. They never finished that CG before they scrapped it and said we're going to redo it. They, you know, they saved money by not finishing the CG. So that's where most of that budget presumably went. Right. Was finishing the CG on Darkseid. Now I don't think the CG is that great. I do think the design for Darkseid's fine. He looks like Darkseid. I can't really fault. Oh yeah. The... I I especially enjoyed his um, five thousand BC or whatever look mm. before he got like all armored up. Like he was just a brawler. I like how they managed to downgrade him. He looked fine at least for me. I feel like Although, that's something where if they'd made the next one, he would probably rip off the armor at some point when he's ready. It's like, oh, yeah. oh, this is a fight then, all right. <laughs> they would probably do the same thing they did with Thanos in Infinity War, where it's like, all right, yeah. he's in his first shot, he's in the armor, and then we're just going to take all that off to yeah. show how much of a threat he really is. Uh, but one thing uh, I just remembered about the flashback scene to the first battle, both cuts, mind you, but they really focus on the Snyder Cut, the gods did everything. Like, mm. the humans, the Atlanteans, the Amazons, they didn't matter at all. It was Zeus, Ares, and Artemis. They were the only ones who did anything of consequence in the entire battle. But that actually kind of ties into the Justice League, because Superman and Flash are the rest of them really don't. Yeah, but I'm it, just wondering why end. that battle's like, oh no, and the three armies came together and they fought as one. Hint, hint, we need to form a team. But it's like, no, you don't. You just need the strong guys. You I just mean, need the... You need, you need, you need Superman. That's all you need. I mean, potentially Martian Manhunter could have been important if he'd shown he up. He could have been, yeah. It, but he but, was busy being an old woman, so <laughs> he was busy not trying to blow his cover. It's like now, now I'm going to like step. It's like really, you step in now. You, you're like the guy who wants to pretend that he was going to get involved, like help move house. Oh, you've already moved the couch and the washing machine. Oh, I guess I'm too late for the heavy stuff. <laughs> oh well. Uh, I know. like it, his excuse too. His excuse at the end was like, "I too have decided that I have a stake in this world." Oh, now you do, right now? <laughs> not not a week ago. Thank you, thank you so much. Oh, uh, <sighs> so, so also, I mean, especially with what we've seen of apocalypse, it's all fire. Everything yes. they do is about fire. So, Martian Manhunter is probably going to be off the board immediately. <laughs> <sighs> oh dear. I, yeah. I, there's no part in this movie that felt like no 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 this had we had to make the Snyder cut so that we had this scene yes no, none of this justified it no I I mean people really wanted they wanted to see what his vision was at least it's there for curiosity's sake yeah um, and that's that's what I that was my morbid curiosity okay he did this. I mean, I was... Eh. It, it, it was kind of... Like, I, I did... Obviously, I rolled my eyes. I probably ranted. I'm sure I ranted on a video at some point where, you know, when they announced they were going to do it, and it was like... Mm. It felt like they caved. It felt like they caved to an audience that wouldn't shop about something. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there was the concern that once you cave once, then they're going to expect you to cave again, so they're going to keep trying. Mm. Um, and, you know, obviously, I, I do love the jokes of, like, people saying, you know... I saw today that... 
there's apparently a hard R rating of Mrs. Doubtfire because Robin Williams, like, um, I saw that as he, well. He improvs so much on set that there's a hard R rating because of his, like, you know, just improvisational comedy. That people are like, hey, release the R rated Doubtfire cut. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I'm a little curious. <laughs> I mean, from my curious. perspective, I'm fine with if the studio wants to meddle and they want to get involved and yes. mess with a vision, then make a theatrical cut and then make a director's cut if it's nothing too big snyder cut was too big but if it's you know the director's cut of like blade runner fine like that's good that we have both it's good that we have theatrical cut it's better that we got the director's version and several other sci-fi staples as well but the point being that's only if the person involved wants to make it this is just someone saying, like, oh, a hard R version exists. Well, does anybody want to make that who was involved? Hey, I'll make uh-huh. it. Give me the footage. G- give me all yeah. the dailies. <laughs> give me the footage. I mean, that's full. That's another thing we could do. Just crowdsource out this stuff. Once the movie has made yeah. all the money it's ever going to make, just release the footage into the wild and say, all right, here you go. Make whatever you want. I mean, even has in the wild, just have someone volunteer to just do it themselves and just hire them. Yeah. I, and I wouldn't necessarily pay them. Just be like, hey, Okay, obviously you can't leak this, and we have to release it and make money off of it when you're done. But if right. you want to who, assemble the cut, who was the guy? He was uh, the star of that '70s show, Eric. He anyway, he's a big Star Wars fan. Apparently, he did like a really great cut of like the entire prequel trilogy, all just down into one movie or something similar. Oh, okay. And that's that sounds like the sort of thing where it is just you know a dedicated fan who does the thing. Mind you, Disney was never going to release it because of course, yes disney but that's the sort of thing where it is exactly what you're saying just someone who volunteers and has the capabilities Look, has the experience I, to do it i'm always going to be for director's cuts if the director themselves feels that their their vision was tampered with yes. uh, they, they're not proud of the film that was released and zach Snyder, at a certain point obviously was up for doing that and that's fine obviously the weird thing here is that there was so much cg that wasn't done that it was such a you know doing an alternate cut of a movie shouldn't actually cost that much it should just be a simple yeah. case of you know the edit time uh maybe a little bit of like maybe additional music recording perhaps something like that Uh, unless unless the the theatrical release is like barely over an hour long there should never be any reason for a director's cut to double the length of a movie (laughs) hey some director's cuts even get shorter uh, depending yeah you know it it does happen um so like like, i'm not mad that it exists i'm kind of mad that the reason why it exists is because the fan base just wouldn't shut up about it. And I admit, yep. a little bit of this is subjective and it's really just a bit of bias because ultimately I hate his vision of these characters. So right. part of me kind of enjoyed that his Justice League just didn't exist. Like part just of me the- kind of appreciated that. And I admit that. I admit I'm being yeah. a little vindictive about that because yeah. I, 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 desp- I, I despise Zack Snyder's filmography. I think he's a terrible filmmaker who doesn't understand how we connect to characters you know watching you know Dora the Ed remake the reason why i'm bringing that up a lot is because i watched it relatively recently for streams mm. uh, as well as watching other people analyze it and like the amount of slow motion and that you know there's so much slow motion in this like I, I i truly believe if you played all the slow motion stuff in this at regular speed you'd probably cut out at least an hour of runtime uh i don't doubt it i i because keep in mind not slow motion not all slow motion is equal some slow motion is half speed some slow motion and this is like you know an eighth of the speed you know like mm-hmm. very quickly and, you condense I mean, a some lot of it the, like we said almost every single scene the scene with like the icelandic singing the oh, scene yes. with, with all there was the scene of the the hostage scene with wonder woman 
this one stood out to me because she leapt through the ceiling mm-hmm. way high up in the air and everything went really slow-mo for a really long time as she threw the briefcase up and it exploded. In the theatrical cut, she leaps up to the top floor, not through the roof, just to the top floor. She throws the bomb up through the roof. It explodes slightly above them in normal speed. All of that was normal speed. Mm-hmm. So he... That didn't change the plot. That changed nothing about how the scene was paced, except to make it longer. There was no, like, if a bomb exploding, you stretch it out by longer, it's still a bomb exploding. It doesn't matter how long you make it take getting up there. And and the end of the uh, that sequence as well, that was another example of excessive force for something that, like, Wonder yes. Woman, you know, clanks her bracelets together and blows out the entire floor. Like, there's a big hole in the wall, there's debris yes. everywhere, and I'm like, it was one guy, at this point it was one guy with like a gun, like, mm-hmm. and you An sh- empty gun. <laughs> and you showed the entire, for the first half of the sequence, when you were taking out multiple gunmen with ease, that it didn't require to take out the entire floor with all mm-hmm. the child, child child hostages behind you, might I yeah. add. So it's another I, example of doing the thing that to Snyder looks cool. This is what, like between his nihilism and between uh, like stuff like this, he, mm. he is what a 12-year-old thinks is dark and deep and cool. And that is what he makes, is what his 12-year-old him thinks is cool. Yeah. And I mean, if that's the audience he's going for, then great. <laughs> but that's the problem, really... though, is that the audience who loves it will claim that it's a mature film, and we don't get it because we want kitty things. And <sighs> yeah, see, I think that's just the difference between it's like mature humor. Mature <clears throat> humor can mean like something that's actually mature or fart jokes. Like, depending on who's saying it, they can mean the same thing. This is the problem of like, oh, no, I make gritty films. Okay, well, like, is it like gritty for a reason or is it just edgy for no reason? And more often than not, it's edgy for no reason. Certainly with Snyder. Uh, yeah. You know, this film is says so little in four hours that it is, it is baffling It to says me. the exact same amount that it said in two hours. It did, yeah. That's, that's the funny thing about it is with all the little changes and all the little things that arguably in some ways are improvements, in some ways I do think some of the changes were better. Ultimately, it says mostly the same thing, but it takes four hours to do it. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> David has just ripped up his Batman v Superman poster. It's just not good. It's just not good. No, it looks like Batman's won because Superman's gone and Batman's there triumphant. <laughs> yep, there we go. Also, he's the tie with the tape on it. So. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So, <sighs> look. I don't think if you're someone who didn't like Zack Snyder's take on these characters that you're going to really get that much more out of this versus before. Uh, it is not the complete travesty that Batman v Superman is, uh, other than one or two key examples towards the end. Yeah. But it's not that good either. Like, it's, it's like more of that middle ground, mediocre, drawn out, like... For for every shot that he has that's kind of nice, like you know, like as much as I you know we joke about the slow motion being overdone, you know some of the shots yeah have Lois walking the rain look kind of visually nice. Yeah, but I like what he, I like what he did um with the entire final battle. 
because in theatrical cut they they tried to do a comic thing by making it red skies but it was just too much and i like how it looked in the snyder cut more i i didn't that much but that's just more because i do feel like zack snyder's action scenes all just feel like they're against uh like a dark cloud of cg behind them you either rock or smoke or whatever and that's just kind of it uh, yeah, fair. Which is what I was going to say is that I, I do think a lot of his action scenes are actually very ugly. And it's funny because one of the things people used to say about Zack Snyder is he has good action scenes because of 300. <laughs> he has good action scenes. And I don't think he does. I think most of them in this are middling at best. Some of them I think are outright bad. Yeah, I think he knows how to do good action scenes when it's just a dude and another dude. But as soon as you have him to introduce like, okay, but they could actually be punched through 12 walls and they'll be fine. <laughs> It's like, okay, well, how do I up the stakes with that? How do I make that interesting? And he still just resorts to a dude punching another dude. Yes. Which, again, goes back to the core problem with Superman, is that Superman in this doesn't inspire anyone. He just shows up, and he's able to punch the dude. He's he's strong Mm -hmm. enough to punch the dude who no one else is strong enough to properly punch. And that's it. That's all it boils down to. And when you boil it down to that, it's not that interesting. No, it is not. It's weak. I'm sorry, people, but it's weak. But not hey, impressed. If if if, if you wanted this, you got it. Hopefully, if you did want it, you enjoyed it in some capacity. Uh, but I think it's needless to say that we do not want any more of Zack Snyder's Justice League or DC oeuvre. Oh no! Like I want it. I want it all. <laughs> I want to see all of it. But I just I'm again. I just I want to see what he do. Is it too much to ask for, like, a real Superman movie and, like, a real, you know, Justice League movie? And Get more people to travel back in time and rewatch Superman Returns. That's about all you can hope for, because as soon as that tanked, he was dead. <sighs> but a good real Superman movie is the point. <laughs> oh, no, no. It's not Superman's fault that idiot Brian Singer just tried to retread <laughs> the plot of the original and did it in a much more dull way with the worst Lois Lane that we've ever had on screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, um, so there you go. That's pretty much. And we have gone the entire runtime of the theatrical cut. <laughs> but definitely not the Snyder Cut. Nope. Uh, actually, that was just one minor point, because we were talking about the bubbles in Aquaman and how... What, what are the oh, compl- complaints I had when I saw Aquaman about Justice League, and this was obviously this applies to both cuts, is that in Aquaman, he's not really a part of Atlantis yet. He's not really been through that journey of being a part of that society, whereas in this movie, it just kind of feels like he is, because he's talking to Volko and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just not in that movie. Um... And I'll critique that a bit more because that actually was planned and came out soon after, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah. one that obviously I can't blame this movie on, but I was thinking about it while I was watching it, is that in Wonder Woman 84, Wonder Woman learned to fly, and yet she can't do that here. And it's not this movie's fault because they changed, they, they, they added that much later, but still, it was in my mind. In the, in the third Wonder Woman movie, she's going to get amnesia. <laughs> in Wonder Woman uh, 99. We'll set it in 99. Turn it turn the, turn the, turn the century. Sure, yep. Yeah. We'll have, everyone will be dancing to Prince music. It'll be great. Yes. Um, oh, dear. I mean, is there a point in rating that? I guess maybe there is. <sighs> I mean, I you have nothing to compare my rating scale to. I'm fresh. I could I could say like a 7, and that would mean nothing. But Too on high. a general... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on a general what most people would think scale... I'd give it like 
I guess a four and a half. Like, it's it is all one movie because that's the thing in the theatrical cut is that it's just so tonally everywhere. It goes all different directions. Mm -hmm. This is one vision and it's consistent. It's way too long and it says nothing in that runtime. But that's why it's knocked down five and a half points. The few so, moments of humor that are in this version never landed for me either. They, they, they fell very yeah. flat. Uh, there's I not mean, a lot the few, of it. But. The few moments of humor in this version were also carried to the theatrical cut. They were, yeah, like, they, they, they used both. Out, yeah. So, yeah, no, four and a half. They were, it was, I'm happy we got it. I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, I, it's weird, because like I said, I think I gave the theatrical a six at a time. I was being too generous, because it's definitely more of a mess than that. Um, this version is kind of weird, because while I do think there's improvements in that it does feel coherent, and it has one consistent tone, and there's these other things that are obviously objectively better about it, um, the fact that there was no attempt to try and show the inspiration of these characters or the inspiration of Superman in the world and why it's important that he comes back. Um, oh, not, Flash, while he was grave robbing Superman, said, he was my hero. Yes, that's true. That's the one thing Inspiration. Because that's, that's what we did it from. We did it from Flash, uh, not, yeah. uh, you know, anyone else. So it puts me in this weird pickle. And then that, that, that epilogue scene, the, the, the nightmare scene at the end. Oh, yeah. Like, if I had to rate that on its own, I, we'd have to invent new numbers. Yeah. I, below negative numbers. It's just... Ugh. Everything about it I hate. Um, it needs to be cut down. It is overlong. And its own merits, it's just... Like, everything's so drawn out. It takes so long to get going. And I was shocked how little was different in this. Like, you know, when I realized it was two hours until that, that first big action sequence, I was like... I feel like that, this took two hours to get to, but I don't feel like there's been... Other than Barry saving Iris and a couple of cyborg flashbacks, since there's been mm -hmm. nothing else added though. So how did yeah. it take two hours? What what was in all this time? And it's just extra little snippets of every shot and every mm -hmm. scene having a bit of more breathing room there and a bit more there. And like this is why editors it, refine movies and edits. <laughs> I wish I would have known how long that opening scene of Superman's death yell would have taken. Because like <laughs> I took a long time to prepare my food before I pressed play. I could have easily, like, drove to the store. I could have picked out a couple things. I could have preheat the oven. So, I guess I'm going to go with a straight four, okay. which is higher than Batman v Superman. I want you to add that. Yeah. It, is, it is a better movie than Batman v Superman. Um, I would say that it is weaker than Man of Steel. I'd agree. But... I'm not thrilled about the idea of watching any of them again. Unfortunately, I do have to watch Batman v Superman Ultimate Cut soon because me and Matt have to do a yeah. commentary for it. So, uh, yes, that, that's the thing that's happening. So look forward to that. Enjoy your Jolly Ranchers. Oh, dear. I don't know what a Jolly Rancher is, really, but uh, I remember... It's just colored sugar. Yeah, that's I, all I remembered Lex shoving it into someone's mouth. Um, all right, well, there you go. That's a Snyder Cut. Um, yes. Am I surprised that this review went over two hours? No, I'm not. <laughs> it's kind of got on par. Yep. So, um, yes, thank you for joining us. Um, you know, Mail of Us TV, of course. Uh, we do weekly DC Comics podcast called Cults in the Multiverse. Myself, Connor, and Matt. Uh, we talk about the new DC books. 
David is actually a avid listener of said show, which is why he guested here because Matt and Connor both, for some reason, refused to talk about it. <laughs> I, I paid Pete to read bad comics. Yes. And also Connor. I mostly Connor. Yeah, mostly Connor. I got you on Flash Future State, though. So. Yes, yes, that was cruel. Um, so I'll thank David for joining us uh, and giving me someone to bounce off uh, this movie on. Uh, you know, this, this was a while coming, and... I hope it was at least somewhat coherent and we didn't just talk about the problems that were already problems in Justice League because yeah. I think we mostly kept it on what's different and what the Snyder Cut itself is doing and uh, hopefully that, that that was consistent throughout but uh, okay um, you can of course support everything we do at Patreon patreon.com slash TV for as little as $1 per month uh, you can support us for completely free though by simply hitting the like button subscribing and commenting all those things do help the YouTube algorithm so please do so um and of course, catches on Twitter at mailed underscore fuzz for channel updates. Uh, but that is us. So thank you very much once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep watching movies. And if you can get it, it's always nice to have diplomatic immunity.